I'm not Swedish. I live in a Swedish neighborhood, but I'm not Swedish. Do you guys celebrate Swedish Day? Uh, that's another one of those Hallmark holidays. It is the 90s, and there is time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Radicue Hour, where we take phone calls and radicue you till the cows come home. What's that number again? 1-800-555-555-SCREW-YOU. And, oh, that's got to be fake. No, 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 that's a real number. Uh, once again, from the, hmm, let me see, I think the irradiated wastelands of Morris has run its course. Uh, oh, you're not there anymore? Yeah, it's still irradiated, but I got to find something new, because um, that's kind of like old hat. Um, oh, from just south of uh, Morris, Illinois, where I'm any day now waiting for a cliff to uh, collapse into the Mazan River. This is Jimmy G. And for from the home of, um, let me see. Um, What's going to collapse in Chicago? I don't know, but um, well, probably me when we're done. So, yeah, there you go. This is Anderson Council. Anderson Council. How are you today, Jimmy G? Um, I'm doing pretty good. In fact, I was going to change my name to something to this week. And, um, oh, yeah. Uh, my name for this week is Jimmy Rustler. Jimmy Rustler. Because you rustled Jimmy. I rustled Jimmy's. I figured, hey, you know, my name is Jimmy. I might as well get in on some of that action, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's cash involved in a roundabout way. I'm there. So. Awesome. Again, uh, this is the part of the show where I ask Sean, how are you? Uh, that's who I am. Yes. <laughs> I asked Sean, how are you? You know, it's kind of weird because I think this is the first time we're ever recording on a Thursday night instead of our usual Tuesday or backup Wednesday like we have been for the past several weeks. But uh, it just feels weird. I mean, this is normally uh, uh, normally during the year. I'm not even home on Thursday nights, but I'm home on Thursday night tonight. I'm sure we may have recorded on a Thursday night before. It's just something that's an unusual once-in-a-lifetime once-in-a-lifetime or more, water, if we actually did down. record on a Thursday before. True. But uh, this is a very auspicious occasion for Pie Factory. Oh, do tell. Do tell. Uh, this is episode big five zero. Oh, episode yes. five zero. Well, technically, it's episode zero five zero. Uh, but uh, we throw that extra zero you know, away because it's just messy working with two zeros. So well, it, we, it also kind of makes us think that we're going to last long enough so that that zero will eventually become a one. Yeah. We're doing, uh, we're doing the Atari 2600 uh, Frogger uh, scoring here, except we're removing the zero at the beginning instead of the zero at the end. Wait, I thought the Frogger was normal. I thought it was Pac-Man that doesn't have. No, well, Pac-Man I think is the same way, but Frogger on the oh, 2600 okay doesn't have the extra zero on the score at the end to save uh, to save memory so that they could, uh, you know, put more stuff in the game. Now, are you talking the Parker Brothers? The Parker Frogger? Brothers. Okay, Parker so Brothers. Not, not the... Uh, not the, the Star Path, yeah. Not, Which, not the, yeah. I don't know how that one scores. I've only played it a handful of times. Yeah, me too, me too. It's a, it is a great version. Tis. Tis. So... What have you been up to? What have you been playing? What have you been doing? Oh, oh, my. You know, there was something that I meant to update on a long, long, long time ago, and I kept forgetting. Remember, I used to have a Retro Duo Portable, which yeah. is essentially a handheld SNES clone 
which can also play NES and Sega Genesis and whatever else you can, you have an adapter for. And I mentioned that I had sold it on eBay so that I could raise funds for the GPDXD that I currently have. And I also mentioned that when I sold it, the buyer wrote to me and said, dude, there's a gouge in the screen. What the, what the hell, mm-hmm. man? And so I offered a refund, which this buyer accepted and returned me the unit. <laughs> and I looked at the screen. There was no gouge. There was like a little, maybe just a little, 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 tiny, 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 tiny dent in a part of the screen, at least in the part of the screen that he circled in the picture he sent, he, he emailed me. And I had a hard time finding. I had to like hold it up at a weird angle to the light to see it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Hey, you!" So I put it back on eBay as a buy it now thing. I drastically lowered the price and I said, "Look, here is a bunch of pictures, and just so nobody's surprised, there is a little ding on the screen here." And literally, just within ten minutes after I put it back up, someone had bought it. So they paid for it. I sent it off to that person and. When she got it, she messaged me and she said, hey, it arrived safely. It looks great. It plays great. Thanks so much for the transaction. I was like, woohoo. So in your face, guy who said there was a gouge in it. First of all, it's a used uh, a used item. Now, I know you take care of your stuff. but yeah, and it Actually, you had the ori- all the original packaging, and ev- including the torn wrap as well. So. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, I mean, it's still used. So there's going to be a little, you know, wear and tear or whatever. Of course, yeah. And I carried it in my bag with me when I went to work, you know. But so, it doesn't yeah, sound like it was too. anything major. This I, it almost sounds like the guy was like looking for perfection. Probably. And we know that there's only, and we know that there's only. I, mean, I didn't one get a bad per- feedback. All, I, I didn't get a bad feedback or anything from that. Okay. So at least there's that. Okay. Well, I mean, you did refund his money and all that. So I mean, yeah. I mean, that worked out. But. I don't know. As we all know, there's only one perfect person in this world, and that is Bill Murray. So that is so true. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, well, he is a Cubs fan, so he's got that going for him. Ah, you see, I twisted the phrase instead of "you got that going for you." He's got that. Oh wow, I'm just a. I'm just Look so, at you. So clever today. Wow. So, um, what have you been playing? Have you been playing the Nintendo Switch? Let's talk about the <laughs> Nintendo Switch yes. for the next two hours. That's exactly what we should do. Yeah, I mean because no other podcasts are doing that, right? No, no, no other game, no other podcasts that talk about something else normally are talking about the Nintendo Switch. So we might as well. Well, you know what though? I mean, even retro gaming podcasts are talking about the Nintendo Switch now, and I, so I think that's cliche. We should talk about something else entirely, something that has absolutely nothing to do with our podcast. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about Beanie Babies. I mean that's oh God, that's topical, again. that right? That's recent. That that is that is yeah. Uh, especially since didn't the didn't the, the the guy from Beanie Babies actually go to jail for like for like uh, tax evasion or something? Something like that. Yeah, something to do with money. I remember they were going to build the tallest building in the world in Chicago again. It was going to be the Chicago Spire. Uh, I think it was going to be like oh, twice as tall as the Sears that's Tower. Right. I, f- I forgot that dude was behind that horrible thing. Well, I don't know if he was behind it, but he bought the penthouse. And of course, there was going to be a penthouse in that giant corkscrew. Yeah, I actually loved the look of the building. I was hoping they would build it, but now there's all there's a big gigantic hole on the spot where it was supposed to build, and I don't think they've done anything with it yet. They they don't know what to do with it. But well, there you go. So yeah, let's talk about Beanie Babies. Eh, Okay, let's not. Although I did do 
Uh, I did do a graphics hack for a game for the Atari oh, 2600. Yes, I that. Yeah, it was a ver- it was Beanie Bopper, which is a 20th Century Fox game, I believe, and I uh, altered the graphics to look like Beanie Babies, and I changed the name of the game to Beanie Baby Bash. And you can download it for free on AtariAge.com. So link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. So, have you been playing anything? What have you been playing? What have you been doing? Um, let let me see. Um, I've actually been playing one of the game. Well, actually, you know, I played a lot of stuff, especially because um, this past Saturday I went to Underground Retrocade and I spent quite a while there. And one, I swear, one of these days I'm gonna go either to either there or Galloping Ghost or Pixel Blast when they open and Statal closing. I've never done that. I want I've to do never, that. And the thing is, like, I. I didn't really want to go home when I went home, but I started feeling kind of, I, I don't know what, the, I don't remember the term I used to describe it, but I was like, okay, I better go home now. Burned out I, no, or uh, in trouble? No, not burned out. It was, it was more like I was feeling t- trancy. I was feeling trancy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I better get home before like things get real. So, but I played a lot of stuff. You were getting in, in the zone. In the zone. Yeah. In the, in the, uh, and I played one of the games that we are going to be talking about in this episode and sucked at it, but I played it a bunch of times and, um, I played a lot of pinball too, cause I decided that I need to play more pinball. So I spent some time on the, on their selection of pinball machines over there as well. And they had a documentary crew. Oh, do tell. Which, I had been planning to go to the retrocade for quite a while because I've not been going there nearly enough. So I set aside, and um, actually at my wife's suggestion, I set aside March 4th for that. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll plan to go there March 4th. And either the night before or two nights before, um, Scott Lambert had posted on the Underground Retrocade Facebook page that there was going to be a documentary crew who had, I guess, already visited there, but they wanted more footage. And they said, hey, come on by and and uh, get on camera and uh, help them out, you know, whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. And so naturally, I had to wear my Pie Factory podcast uh, T-shirt just in case I got in the background or something. Hey, free publicity. Ding. <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm over there. I'm, I, don't, I think I was playing the Super Mario Brothers pinball machine. And Scott comes over to me. He said, hey, did you talk to the guys in the documentary crew? Yeah, I said, no. He's, he said, well, you should. I was like, well, all right. He said, when, you're, when, you, get a free, when you get a free moment, go talk to them. And it was, it's just two guys. It was uh, um, the director was uh, Logan. And the other person, I don't know what his role was, was named Preston. I think it was some kind of college project or something. Okay. Because he, uh, they, they had me wear a lavalier microphone. And I, I assured them that I had showered that day, as I do <laughs> at least once a day, so I wouldn't get their equipment all messed up. He said, oh, don't worry, it's the school's equipment. We don't care. <laughs> so, And also, like, later on, like, f- a couple hours later, they flagged me down because they were about to leave, and they realized they forgot to have me sign a release. And the way he, the way he was talking about it was, it was only going to be like a five-minute documentary anyway, so I have a feeling this was going to be just a college project of some kind. Mm-hmm. But yeah, why would why would I need to sign a release for that, though? But that's... that's a Doesn't matter how long thing. it is. They got a CYA or CTA, I guess. From, okay, from my experience, because I had to do... Co- I, I, I did some TV production stuff in college, too. We never did a release, mainly because like 
our TV station was closed circuit. It didn't go outside the college. Well, I mean, but, there's that. Hey, I, mean, I mean, this if this this very well it very well could be a college project. But in this day and age, you know how people yeah, are just so yeah. happy. They just want to uh, cover yeah. their butts, so to speak. Yeah, and yeah, and so Logan's like, oh, yeah, I gotta get you to sign this talent this uh, talent release form. I was like, that's okay. I'm not talented. Don't worry. <laughs> but. But yeah, I mean, basically, he asked me uh, some questions that I think I rambled on for about 10 minutes each. It was one of those things where like at the end, I was like, wait, what was the question again? (laughs) He was asking about um, why there seems to be a resurgence in in, in going to the arcade and classic arcade games coming back and with places like Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade and those like open, like seemingly opening everywhere now and why it was happening. Um, he asked me to share some memories of my experiences from back in the, because we can now say day again, so we don't have to say back in the Ferg anymore. Be honest though. So, I kind of liked saying back in the Ferg. That was kind of like our oh, thing. We too. started it. So, well, you started it. Give, give yourself the credit for that, man. That was yours. Well, but you ran with it. Yeah, I ran with it. Everybody else did too. That's what that's what you should be very proud of. I caused a worldwide phenomenon. Yes, you did. Not it's, since the Beatles. Man, it's like it's like David every, Hasselhoff. It's like all these worldwide phenomena that happen are all because of Ferg, like the Ferg effect, the back in the Ferg thing, the Podfather thing. Mm-hmm. And oh, um, yeah, but no, what it was, I went to, and 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 I got to tell you because I went to I, I I went to see the, the guys were in the second floor of the Retrocade which is where the post-crash games are, and there's like a big wide-open space up there for people to set up and everything. You know, it was the same place where they screened Man vs. Snake. Right, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I go over to him, I said, hey, Scott told me I should talk to you guys. He said, oh, are you the gentleman who has a podcast? Gentleman? Like, well, you're about half right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, the other part I can't really help you with. So, uh, remember a couple of episodes ago, though, uh, weren't you wearing a monocle and you were carrying a cane? And, I uh, think you had the monocle and the cane. Uh, I yes, was simply, I was simply being um, gentlemanly, very, very gentlemanly and proper and yes. formal, formal. So maybe they heard we had, that episode because uh, Andy wanted a formal introduction. So perhaps that he was asked the if episode. we do a formal introduction. So I figured, yeah, we better. Yeah. So we got as so. formal as we could. And <sighs> I feel terrible though because after I signed the release and everything, and they and they left and and they were gone, I was like. Oh, crap. I forgot to talk about Tinkle Pit. So, uh, so yeah, I've been playing the games that, that I've been playing um, the games that we're going to be talking about tonight. And one of the games we're going to be talking about uh, the next episode. And I've been playing some stuff, some Atari 7800 stuff, uh, uh, because I now have a Pokey on my Mateos cart. So I started loading up some Pokey stuff and... Oh man, I hope Froggy. I am hurt. not going to make the uh, the Gumby joke. No, you're not. Because Atari was working on a Gumby chip, so yes, they were. So I mean, that joke's already been done. And actually, the Jaguar had two chips nicknamed Tom and Jerry. Oh really? Yes, they did. So I, I mean, did can't not do that either. That. Wow. I'm just full wow. of interesting and, little um, tidbits that nobody yeah. else cares about. Is yeah, I got I, I ordered a um, pokey chip from a UK eBay auction actually, and it was fairly reasonable price. Bought it, popped it in, and sure enough, all the pokey stuff that I um, loaded onto it worked really nicely. And so nice. I ordered two more from the same guy, and they just arrived a few minutes ago actually. 
And uh, the reason I ordered two more is because there's some new homebrews about to come out on the Atari, in the Atari Age store. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, for a couple of them, Albert said, if you want the Pokey version, you have to supply the Pokey. Bentley Bears Crystal Quest being one of them, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So it's like, I'm ready for that. And I don't want to sacrifice my, my copy of Ball Blazer. Yeah, no, Ball Blazer, you don't want to sacrifice, and you sure as hell ain't going to sacrifice a Commando if you have oh, one. Oh, no, no, no. And I'm, not also, and I'm also not going to sacrifice Beef Drop. No. Now, I have a non-working Atari 5200 in the basement, in addition to the one that you gave me. This non-working one came oh, really? from the basement oh, of my, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, my dad's house, and it came with the, uh, the 2600 uh, adapter for the 5200, which... It worked quite well on uh, the 5200 you gave me. But anyway, I'm thinking about uh, cannibalizing the pokey from the non-working 5200 uh, for future usage, I guess, as it were. So, yeah. So, have you anything, been playing anything else? That pretty much it. So, can um, I talk about myself? What? I finally played the Atari 2600 version of Juno first. I love what I see. And now I have to play the arcade version just to see how good a conversion it is because I've never played the arcade version. That's a game we have to talk about. Junio. 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 Actually, now that I look at it, there is a little squiggle over the end. So maybe it is Junio first. But the the Atari 2600 version of Juno first is extremely close to the arcade version. Just gonna let that out right now. It's it's really good, and I really want to talk about Juno first at some point. Cause, and, and it is on our spreadsheet uh, for a future topic, but uh, I really want to talk about that game sometime in the near future because that is an extremely fun, uh, extremely fun shooter. It's uh, you know what? I'm not gonna go into it any further. It's an extremely fun shooter. If you see it in the arcade, play it. If you see the uh, the see it on the Atari Age store, purchase it without second thought. It's extremely well done, and uh, I, I like giving these homebrewers, you know, a little, a little shout out because they do good work. And um, hey, homebrewers, out! See what I did there? See, I gave the homebrewers yeah, a shout sure, out. Whatever. Okay, so yeah, I've been seeing. In fact, I got new glasses, so I can't help but see it. <sighs> Lucky me. Okay, um, what have I been playing or doing? Well, I yeah, am. What have you asked. been doing? Wait, you didn't ask. Screw you. I'm, I'm just telling you anyway. Um, Actually, I did ask. No, you did, didn't you? Yes, I did. I, t- I asked you after you said that you wanted to talk about it. I said, well, yes, what did you? What have you been playing? So, yeah. Well, I've been actually uh, working on my... Uh, I've been working on my uh, Raspberry Pi recently. It's uh, Retro Pie on there, uh, which we have a Retro Pie story we need to talk about here in a moment. Oh, shark. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, but um, I, uh, I got the, uh, the case and the Western Digital Drive for, the, uh, for my uh, Raspberry Pi. Uh, the drive, I still have to figure out how to mount it so that uh, the Raspberry Pi will, you will see it. But um, I've been doing a little tweaking in, uh, in my Raspberry Pi to get my uh, ColecoVision controllers working. And I did get one of them working. And I think the reason the other one... Now the the connect the connectors inside were like uh, were loose from the cord to the um, uh, to the to the circuit board, and um, a couple of them the, uh, the the spade that they were actually that actually hooked onto the board was actually broken on quite a few of them, and so I just Ooh. soldered them right to the uh, soldered them right to the board, 
And um, and I'm thinking the reason the one didn't work and the other did is because when I tested the uh, the controllers, I didn't have my uh, vision adapter uh, switches set in the proper configuration for it to actually work. So I got to test the other one, but uh, I got to assemble it again in that. But uh, as far as the uh, the the hard drive that I bought for the Raspberry Pi set, I need, still need to configure it. But I also bought a case. First of all, the top of the case uh, from Western Digital is held on the bottom portion of it by magnets. And I am oh. kind of leery about using magnets near electronic equipment. I'm sure it's probably fine. I mean, I don't think they would have sold it if there were problems, but, you know. I'm, um, I'm, or it I'm could be of, planned obsolescence, too. Could be. But I did not install those, but what I'm going to do instead is get a couple of the... Um, like the circular Velcro labels and, yeah. uh, and put them on the, uh, the where you're supposed to put the magnets on the board and see if that works. But actually, the, you know what? The, the, uh, the monitor cover on an iMac is held on by magnets and you literally have to use suction cups to open it. Really? Yeah. I did not I know that. A, I, I, when I put an SSD in my iMac a, a year or two ago, I actually had to buy a pair of suction cups and pull the monitor cover off so I could pry the monitor out and stick the drive in. Yeah, that's kind of bizarre. It's it, believe, it was one of the scariest things I ever did, so I was like, man, there's no way I didn't break it. I put it back together. Everything worked perfectly. So, But I will say this uh, other about the case for the, uh, for the Raspberry Pi from Western Digital. Holy guacamole, is this thing a kludge? It's bizarre. Um, there's there's <laughs> there's there's there's, there's got to be better ways to to mount this stuff, and uh, I am definitely going to find a different way to mount this stuff because it's it's you don't have access to the USB drives and the power uh. cord plugs into a little power adapter which splits off to the Pi or splits off to the hard drive and then the Raspberry Pi, but then the cord from the power supply to the actual pie board itself actually wraps outside the case and goes back in and there's it, it's I, I took a picture of it i'll put it i'll uh, I'll, I'll get it to you uh, i'll get it to whoever takes care of our website because somebody whose name whose initials are jg can't remember the password to load stuff to it but i'll get somebody <clears throat> a picture of it it's it's just really bizarre i just don't recommend this thing I mean, I guess it's only a couple of bucks, so I guess you could probably use it uh, as a basis to mount, not a basis like, you know, Doug Pinnock of King's X, but a basis to, uh, you know, to uh, mount it in another box. But, uh, you know, there you go. So, but that was, that's really weird. And on top of all that, it's a Western Digital, too. I've never really had problems with Western Digital. I mean, I've heard a lot of horror stories. Yeah, I've had Western Digital drives in the past, and to be quite honest, I, they never gave me a problem. But every time someone I, I ever had like a tech support thing that I had to do when the hard drive blew, it was invariably Western Digital. And the crazy thing is, everybody says, "Yeah, well, Seagate's even worse." I work with I use, a lot of Seagate drives at work. And what's your experience with them? Are they they've been <sighs> bad for you? I guess the failure rate isn't anything outrageous, especially since that all the ones I pretty much deal with are used. Uh, however, there was sure. one time several years ago where uh, I, I work for, uh, I do tech work for a major, major uh, pharma- uh, pharmacy company in the United States here. And there was a time when we were getting in new 
Seagate hard drives, but there was like a major recall on them. But so before mm. we had to, um, before we could install, we had to scan every, the serial number for every hard drive into a database to check to see if it's one of the ones that were covered by the recall. And that was a pain in the ass. Sure. I mean, I've been using pretty much, in terms of like actual hard drives that aren't SSDs, most of mine are Seagate, and I've never had a problem. I, the, only pro, the only problem I ever personally experienced with a hard drive I've ever owned, the first I had my first hard drive crash a couple of weeks ago. It was the hard drive in my iPod. <laughs> Oops. And I actually took it out and replaced it with... There's a hack that uh, OWC Computing sells for like, I think, 30 bucks, where you put it in your iPod. If you have like an iPod Classic, it, you put it in there, and you can use an SD card with it. So that's what I do now. And, you know, actually, I've also been playing a lot of ColecoVision games on my you know, abrupt oh. uh, to, uh, abrupt uh, topic change. On my, oh, speaking uh, of on, which, on my well, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Mr. Uh-oh. Holzman, but I just, I'm just happy to announce that the Coleco Chameleon thread in Atari Age is now up to 444 pages. I can't believe that's still going. I mean, <laughs> and it, it's not like the, the, the Knight Rider 2600 uh, project uh, page on Atari Age, which gets bumped like twice a year. I mean, people are posting this thread every day, and it hasn't let up. And I, I, I guess Mike Kennedy's been into some weird stuff with his retro magazine recently, and which is why that it just came up. It should just be a general dump on Mike Kennedy thread, which... I thought he quit that magazine. <sighs> Apparently not. Oh, jeez. Uh, just... I haven't you know, been following that thread. I, I just I pop in from time to time and make a comment like, is this thing still going and stuff like that, so... But I have been playing uh, ColecoVision games on my laptop and uh, using the uh, ColecoVision controller and the um, uh, Vision adapter. And um, CoolCV is uh, is is a good emulator, which is you know on Windows, uh, Linux, RetroPie, Mac, you know whatever. Uh, setting up the controllers, you know, bit of a pain in the ass, but I've seen worse. Uh, the worst is JZINTV for the uh, for whatever platform. Wow, I've been wanting to play uh, Intellivision games through that emulator, but that's the the, the system. I mean, they, I I can't complain too much because this is these are projects that people are doing in their spare time, and, and, and you know, there's a lot of they got a lot of things going on. They got personal lives and that sort of thing, so you can't complain too much. Um, it, it's still pretty difficult with that the Intellivision emulator, but I digress. And I've been playing um, a lot of homebrews and prototype games for the ColecoVision. And one I totally forgot uh, that was found, uh, what, six years ago now. Uh, It's called Caterpillar SOS. And um, it was a promotional video game for the ColecoVision. Uh, from Caterpillar, the Cater- the Caterpillar Tractor Company. They make the, the bulldozers and the dump trucks and all that stuff, which the game was only distributed to Caterpillar, Caterpillar, to Caterpillar dealerships, and you would play it while you were waiting. And um, it's an interesting piece of history. Very few of these survived. Uh, the ROM was dumped, like I said, back in 2011, I believe. And um, you, you're basically you're driving a Caterpillar truck, pushing dirt around every now and then you have to send an oil sample um i can't remember what the first s and sos stands for but it's uh it's i guess to promote a oil sampling 
um, feature in the um, in Caterpillar tractors at the time where you would send them an oil sample of your oil and then they would uh, like diagnose if you're having engine problems or stuff. It was uh, it was designed to promote that. So and then every now and then you'd have to drive your tractor into the dealership to get it repaired and stuff like that, which if you were doing a game based on your product that you sell and you want to induce, say, confidence in your product, having a game where you actually have to repair your product, <laughs> probably not a good idea. The, uh, there was the famous uh, game Chase the Chuck Wagon for the Atari yes. 2600, which was by Chuck Wagon Dog Food. It was actually programmed by Spectra, SpectraVision. In that game, they show the dog eating the food. They never show the dog throwing up the food. Having your head to repair your tractor is kind of like having the dog throw the food up. Yeah. You know, Chase the Chuck Wagon gets a lot of flack. I actually like that. I have an actual Chase the Chuck Wagon cartridge, and I, I enjoy that game. It's really fun. The biggest problem with that game is sometimes the passages aren't wide enough and you get hung up on corners. You yeah. get around that, and it's not a bad game. No, I, I, I actually have fun with well, it. Well, I won't say it's a great game. I'll, I'll say E.T. is mean, a much not... better game than that. But it's it's a respectable little game. Let's put it that way. I mean, you're talking about somebody who loves tax avoiders. So. Oh, that's true. And uh, let me think. Is that everything I've been playing? Um, you know, that would be a great episode topic for Tim and Andy, the Super Podcast Brothers guys. Like, qu- games that, that were commissioned by corporations to kind of... Because, you know, you got Chase Chuck Wagon, you have uh, Pepsi Invaders... You have this uh, Caterpillar game. Hell, uh, Parker Brothers was working on a uh, McDonald's game for the Atari 2600. Oh, really? Uh, the only ROM that was found was just the uh, uh, display of the Golden Arches. Uh, Man, I, I think would love to find out what other systems games. had those. I'm sorry? Me too. Oh, well. I'd, um, I'd love to find out what other systems had those kind of games. Well, there was Cool Spot for the Genesis and Super Nintendo, which is a 7-Up based game. And Amiga. I think it was on the Atari ST as well. Yeah, yeah, I had it um, on the Amiga. That was a fun, that actually was a fun game. There were a few McDonald's games for the NES, and uh, supposedly they were. I, I played one of them, and, it, and it's actually a pretty good game. Uh, surprisingly, uh, let me think. Um, several years ago, Burger King had some uh, games on CD-ROM that you could uh, you know play on your PC and stuff, like Sneak King and a few other. Few other things. Uh, sure. I think Taco Bell several years back had CDs for games to put in play on your PC, but it was like Asteroids and Centipede. And um, I wonder if I still got my copies of them. I have to look for them. Um, so I mean, it's not unheard of, but it's you know, it's uh, he's not going to look for them, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, you never know. I might because I'm actually curious what I did with them. If I still got them, I might not have them. But um, so yeah, there's there's that. So uh, should we move on to some news? Uh yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Uh, a, a couple of things. First of all, the uh, lighter topic. Um, you know that version of Donkey Kong uh, for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred we keep talking about that we haven't really talked about in a long time. Yeah, not since the Donkey Kong episode. Well, they finally it's finally reached version one. Oh, the first full awesome. is out of beta and. Uh, you can uh, download it on AtariAge.com. Uh, link in the show notes. And uh, at- it looks like Atari uh, Atari Age might be putting out a copy of it. I'm sure they'd probably have to change 
some of the graphics around and the name of the game to avoid, uh, you know, stuff from Nintendo. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, say, Princess Rescue. Exactly. God. But uh, so you might want to check that out. It's a fun game. It works in, in the Stella emulator quite well. And um, it's it's really good. It's almost almost arcade perfect. I mean, it has to still work with the limitations of the machine. So, I mean, you can't see the whole screen at the, at one time. The screen has to scroll. But it's yeah, it really good. It's really fun. It doesn't work on my Harmony cart, though. My Harm- I have the first edition Harmony cart. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work on those things because it doesn't like Kenny Rogers. But... The newer Harmony carts do play it properly, so it's like, oh man, I missed out, and I don't think it'll play on the uh, Flashback Portable. I, you know what? I don't know. I don't think it was in the because on Atari Age they actually had a a thread with a um, a zip file of of ROMs for the uh, Flashback Portable that have been verified to work, and um, I don't recall seeing it in that uh, zip file. Now that I think about it, I don't think it is. And I, I, I got to bring this up too. There's a thread on Atari Age where they have actually taken games that won't work on the flashback portable for one reason or another, be it a control issue or whatever, and they've been hacking them, hacking the games to make it work properly. So like you can they now have a version of Omega Race that you can play on there without the little you know dealy that goes That's on the stupid. joystick. I hate that thing. <laughs> then they have a version of uh, Star Raiders that you yep. can play on it that doesn't use the uh, the touchpad. They fixed a graphics glitch and tapper. I need those things, too, because I, I got to find that thread. I have no idea where it is. It's either in the 2600 programming or hacks thread or uh, forum on Atari Age. I'd have to double check that. And, the, and the, I know they fixed the Berserk bug, too. Yes. Yes, they did. So that's uh, something uh, something else to talk about there. But here's what I wanted to get to. Re- uh, we're only going to talk about this real quickly here, but uh, everyone knows how I'm trying to work with RetroPie, get that working. Some douchebag, and uh, I, I probably shouldn't say douchebag because I have no idea what this guy's going for, but some guy in the United States trademarked both RetroPie and Emulation Station, uh, both of which are parts of the same project. They're, they're separate, but they're both in the same RetroPie project. And uh, ostensibly, this guy says that he trademarked them so that the name won't get... I don't know, muddied or some some crap, so people can't sell it, you know, and, and that because you're not supposed to sell it. It's open source and all that. And I call bullshit. They, they did get a bunch of auctions shut down on eBay that did have RetroPie in the name. I've been kind of following the thread over on the retropie.org.uk forums. Uh, the topic is called Legal Help Needed. Link in the show notes again. And um, apparently... He actually has been talking, the guy who trademarked it has been talking to the the head of the RetroPie project, and uh, he's like, he's, I'm tired of having my name dragged through the mud, so I'm going to just, you know, I bought the, the trademarks, I'm going to donate them to the, uh, to the guys in the RetroPie project. This is a couple days ago he said that, uh, this is, today is March 9th, this is like two, three days ago he was saying this, uh, hasn't been much in the way of updates since then. But uh, it's, a, it's a totally goofy situation. I don't know what to make of it. I'm, I'm just going to wait and see how it all works out. But it's, it's pretty goofy. One way or the other, I'm using my Raspberry Pi for retro gaming goodness. So whether it's with or without RetroPie, don't know. But I like RetroPie. Uh, it is a really cool thing to have. It really is. It is. It is. So 
Just wanted to uh, get that out there. It's a bizarre situation in... I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I'm just w- watching it from the sidelines. Has there been any updates on the um, Project Prometheus? Project Prometheus. Which is that one? That's the new ColecoVision that's going to be... That's that's in development. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, I haven't heard anything. I haven't actually looked at the thread in the Atari Age in the ColecoVision subforum. If you go to Atari Age forums and into the uh, classic, uh, what was it? Uh, classic gaming forum. They have subforums for ColecoVision and television and all that. Uh, the forum or go to highfactorypodcast.com and click show notes. Or you can do that. Um, we're very good about getting show notes out in a timely manner. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's all because that somebody doesn't remember the password to put show notes up. Well, and it's also because whoever programmed this site, I don't know, the, the, whoever it was was a freaking moron because there's an option where you can actually type the show notes in um, ahead of time before the, the episode is actually published. The show notes episodes won't actually list unless you submit the show notes with that checkbox. Turns out that even when you don't check the checkbox, they show up anyway. So it's like you can't really put them in until the show is actually released or else you're going to give everybody a dead link. Uh-huh. Which and means of course, that, that Zelda means, won't be rescued. And, of course, that means uh, Hyde's going to have to get the sound effect of uh, Link dying from the first Legend of Zelda game. I don't know. We ready to move on to Addenda and Errata? I think so. Um, do you have any Addenda or Errata? Got a little bit. Um, oh, do tell. Now, we had talked about in Vanguard. There's a few things need to talk about in Vanguard. First of all, uh, you had mentioned that there was a wall-mounted oh, yeah. cabinet for Vanguard. Well... Uh, Vert Vic Viper of Tenpence Arcade podcast out there in the good old Ding. UK, Cheerio, he actually tweeted us a picture of a wall-mounted ladybug oh, cabinet. You know that we get free Honey Nut Cheerios at work? You do? They actually have for us a Honey Nut Cheerios dispenser and a Goldfish dispenser and a Chex Mix dispenser. It's really cool. Uh, anyway, um, carry on. Whatever. Um, so anyway, yeah, he tweeted us a picture of a wall-mounted ladybug cabinet, which was uh, interesting. It didn't extend out from the wall as uh, as far as I thought it was, would, but I don't know if this is more of a modern thing. I have to look at the picture a little closer, but uh, it was still uh, pretty darn neat. Yeah, um, thank you, uh, Yes, Vic. thank you, Vert, Vic Viper. And you know what? We never thank Sean Holly for anything. So, Sean Holly, thanks for nothing. So, all right. So with that out of the way, a uh, couple other things about Vanguard. Yes, uh, do tell. If you're, when you're in the bleak zone and you dock with one of the, uh, the worms whose names I don't recall at the moment to get the additional 1,090 points, uh, the worms laugh. Uh, I did not realize that the first several times I was playing it. I guess I wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, listening for it. But yes, the, the worms actually laugh when you dock with them. That's what I get for playing the game without the sound. Yeah, see, you need to play games with the sound. Instead, I'm listening to like I'm listening to other podcasts while I play my games. I can listen to music when I'm playing games, but I can't have them in my have the music in my headphones. I have to have them through a speaker or something. Well, you know, you just load up your your favorite game from the from the '80s, Pac-Man, Vanguard, whatever. 
And then you get some, I don't know, Journey or Survivor going on your music system, and you got the whole 80s arcade thing going for you. Although some arcades played stuff like Judas Priest, too, though. So, I mean, you know, you got to choose wisely. Well, let's let's face it. Who can, is there anybody who can name a Survivor song that's not Take You on a Saturday or Eye of the Tiger? I didn't think so. And conversely, people can name way too many Journey songs. Don't Stop Believing, Wheel in the Sky, Lights. Um, oh, it's I just like Lights. Lights is my favorite. I love Light. Lights. That's a that's good a, tune. That is an excellent song. I have my own lyrics uh, uh, for lights that just changed slightly to reflect Chicago and not San Francisco. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the lake. Oh, the lake I almost slid my bike into uh, three weeks ago today. Yeah. Yeah. Did you mention that last episode? Nope. Or did you mention it all? You might not have. No, and my my arm is still uh, sore from that, so I just might have to make a doctor's appointment. (laughs) Eh, not good. Uh, that's uh, now you had mentioned something else about Vanguard. I did, but I hell if I remember. All I know is we were addended by uh, a listener on that, and we should address that. Something about it having a sixty-eight thousand Motorola sixty-eight thousand processor. Yeah, let me see if I can pull up the actual verbatim comment that we got on that one. Um, hide a little Jeopardy music, please. Cat sauce, ColecoVision. Hmm. Yeah, we heard from one uh, Robert McNally Rafferty. Hi, Robert, or Bob, or Rob, however you call yourself. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Anyway, um, he says, I just got my Zaxxon back after selling it to a guy years ago. Ended back in my garage last week. Oh, by the way, I did play Zaxxon in Underground Retrocade, and I actually uh, finally survived an entire asteroid. Didn't get to Zaxxon, though. Anyway, uh, enjoying some Zaxxon love. BT Dubs, in your Spy Hunter review, there was much that you totally missed about the game. Oh, it was a Spy Hunter, not Vanguard. Sorry. Yeah, uh, there was much you totally missed about the game. One of the more interesting things was that it took an extra Motorola 68000 CPU on a dedicated soundboard for the Peter Gunn theme. Ah. Seven years before the Sega Genesis, Spy Hunter... Uh, by the, and two years before the Amiga, Spy Hunter was using the same CPU just to play one song. A 16-bit sound card on an 8-bit game. I agree that it is hard. It took owning an upright cab for a year to get any good at it. Sold both of the ones that I had, and they are now happily in people's home arcades. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Robert. Thank you for your comment there. Yeah, I, that, that, I didn't know about that. I didn't know. Man, that... It's just amazing that games in 1983 were using 68,000 processors. Food Fight, for example, that was another one. This is what kills me. He talks about that being a 16-bit sound card. Amiga used the 68,000 series processor, but the sound was only 8. Well, then again, the the, um, the 68,000 on the Amiga was just the main processor. Basically, all it did was farm out instructions to the all the other processors on board like like i think the paula chip did the sound the gary chip did the graphics i think the agnes chip was for memory management i mean so i guess maybe uh the separate sound chip in the amiga was only 8 bit so it's like man why why waste that but anyway and of course pretty much all of the 16 bit computers at the time were powered by the 68 uh, 68000 the atari st yeah, uh, the uh, I believe the Apple Macintosh was at all. Yes, it was. Was or not? I mean, as well. I meant not at at all. Ugh. And um, 
It's sad uh, what's befallen Motorola because the 68,000 series chips were uh, were quite nice. Uh, oh, yeah. But, yeah. And you can actually program in C on those things, too. Yes, you could. Which was one of the advantages of programming Food Fight, apparently, was that they could actually do it in C. They didn't have to use low-level assembly language. Do we have any more addenda and errata? Is that it? Um, I have a other addenda and or errata. Please. Um, actually, I have two others. Uh, episode 22. This is an addenda. I, I actually discovered when I was researching my other podcast, Ding, the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, Ding. whose episode number six, Junior Pac-Man, is currently available to all of you listeners. But uh, I never really, I don't think we addressed this at all in episode 22, but we talked about how when the bonus prize floats over the dots, the dots inflate, they slow you down a lot more than normal, and they're worth 50 points each. Mm-hmm. I don't think we addressed this part, but if you lose a life when there are inflated dots on the screen, the inflated dots completely disappear. And you know, I was skeptical of that, and I actually tested that uh, this afternoon, and yeah, it does indeed happen. I'm pretty and sure was... we did talk about that, though, but here's what we didn't talk about, and something I had actually been wondering about for years, and I never actually tried. Hmm. I always wondered what would happen if um, the only edible things left on the screen were the inflated dots, like all the regular size dots were gone, the energizers were gone, and then you lose a life. Does it automatically clear the screen for you? And in my research for episode six of the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast, I found no. What happens is if you lose a life and the only things left on the screen in the maze to eat are the inflated dots, they revert to their original size. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. So, hey, that's an addenda for episode 22. So addendum, they... pardon me. Addendum is singular, addenda is plural. Ah, well, there you go. And uh, we also got a correction for episode 49. Because okay. somebody, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, man, sorry. It's been dusty here. <laughs> somebody did not like my pronunciation of Tose, the company who designed Vanguard. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be pronounced Tose. Apparently, somebody, excuse me, doesn't like that I said Toes. So, Oh, I thought that whole thing was about uh, the one player for the Blackhawks, uh, Taze. You know what? I Did I ever tell you what I really want to do someday? I want to call up like one of those places where you can get a custom jersey made. And I want to get a custom Blackhawks jersey. They'll say, okay, what do you want to, what do you want the jersey to say on it? Let's see. I want, uh, you know, whatever his number is. I forgot off the top of my head. And above it, I want you to spell T-A-V-E-S. Taves. Then what I want to do is go pick it up and say, what the hell is this? T- that's not how Taves' name is spelled. You, what, what are you, some kind of <laughs> moron? And see if I can get it for free. You think it'll work? The things we do for fun around here. Oh, by the way, those of you who are incorrect and not Blackhawks fans, um, his name is spelled T-O-E-W-S, but for yes. some reason he pronounces it Taves. I keep uh, keep thinking of uh, the Lowe's movie theaters when I see his name, even uh, though... Excuse me, it's Laves. Thank oh, you Laves. very much. I'm sorry. Uh, we do have one comment uh, from uh, S1500 on the Pie Factory podcast forum at atariage.com. He's got some Spy Hunter memories. Ah. Yes. Um, many moons ago... Uh, the, our, this is S1500. Many moons ago, I was in an arcade at Har Mar Mall. I keep reading that as Har Har Mall. Um, <laughs> and they had a spy hunter there. I remember this teenage girl standing at the machine, guarding it, but not playing it. 
I was only to assume she was holding it for her boyfriend named Todd. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Go ahead and guard it. It's a game you'll lose in two minutes anyway. Spy Hunter is a great looking game with the cab sounds, graphics, etc., but the difficulty is brutal. The high-low gear and analog foot pedal gives you the speed controls of fast and way too fast. <laughs> uh, might I add that uh, he is way... I think he's uh, underselling it uh, quite a bit there, but anyway. Oh, I did not play Spy Hunter at Underground Retrocade when Good. I was there. <laughs> uh, cars come at you where you don't have time to dodge or shoot your way out, which is something we talked about. A lot of cheap deaths yep. in the game because of that. Um, he remembers being told the... Um, oh, he continues. Remember being told the wives' tale of a third stage. You are in the sky. It would go from land, sea, then sky. Uh, so no. Boston has a video game now? Uh, probably. So, at any rate, he continues. The DOS version of Spy Hunter was super strict on how it ran. I didn't have much luck. And... The pinball version is strange. Really weird layout. I did not know there was a pinball. Neither did I. Thanks, S fifteen hundred. So we will have to search that out. And uh, I did get a uh, a a private message on Facebook from one of our listeners, and he's going to, as soon as he feels better, help me uh, try to get uh, visual pinball working. Because I oh, just awesome. can't figure it out. And yeah, I want to. I want to. I wonder if that's on uh, RetroPie. Oh yeah. I'll have to look that up. There's a lot of stuff in the uh, in, in the packages uh, on the RetroPie that you can uh, oh, that you can install. Oh. Oh, there there is a Spy Hunter pinball machine at the Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas. Uh, you know where I'm going literally the day after Midwest Gaming Classic? Vegas. Vegas. Oh. That's pretty much where you go when you go and I somewhere. I did explain to my wife. I was like, look, there's a pinball hall. Of She's like, okay, I understand. You need to do podcast research. I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. So, and, you know, yeah. and my wife and I met uh, 19 years and one day ago. Yeah, from the time we're recording this. Yeah, there's an amusing little story about what your mom said on your Facebook page. But at any rate, there oh, you go. Believe me, they get better than that. So, is that all the addenda and errata news and reader uh, stuff we have? It, I think. I think so. I. Th- I, th- I think so. Well. Um, yeah, at least, yeah. I'm just, I'm just glad that I finally remembered to tell the retro dual portable story. Yeah. Well, man, of course. Good to get off my chest. So what should we, uh, we got two games here. If I were running the show tonight, I would say, let's talk about one of them, but I'm not. So, okay. Well, I will say, let's talk about one of them. Actually, let's talk about both of them one at a time. Oh, one at a time. Okay. Yeah, one one of these days time. we should both talk about them at the same time. Ooh, that would be interesting. It, April 1st is right around the corner. Oh, man. We could like split them out and across the stereo spectrum. Oh, yeah. We have one game in oh, one man, ear you know how and the much other size game in the that other. Would save? That would, how much size that would save? Because then all yeah. you got to do is say, okay, and now when we're done, go back, like backtrack your playback. Go to channel. To this go point. Go to the right channel. Just, right channel. Yeah, channel. exactly. Oh, oh dude. man, Hyde, Hyde, we got to get together and work this out. Man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's, that's awesome. So, yeah. do you want to deal with crocodiles or dinosaurs? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. It's a good thing, because they're both equally cute. You know, let's deal with the dinosaurs. Okay. That would be Bust-A-Move. Just Bust-A-Move. Ah, Bust-A-Move. Uh-uh. Yay, Bust-A-Move. Yay, Bust-A-Move. Yeah, I, had to I was doing you both just to satisfy people who don't like change. Well, I like change, and after my taxes, that's generally all I have left. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. 
but um, Bust a Move was made by Taito in 1994, or if you're my brother, Taito. Um, the working title was actually Bubble Buster. Uh, if I might say something here, now we talked about Beavis and Butthead, that was 1995, I believe. But is would this make 1994? Would that this be the official, most recent game we've talked about in the arcade? Uh, no, because uh, there was um, Miss World '96 nude. No, Dang it actually fixed it, Felix Jr. Well, true, but and I really do want to talk about Sky Cursor. It's, I do want to talk about that one. It's not finished yet, but it's very playable. It's there. Oh, you, it's awesome. Lots of arcades have playable versions. I love that game. I think what I love most about it is that your commanding officer is a dog. But you know what, Sean? Just bust a move. Yeah, let's bust a move. Let's, let's bust a move. Let's uh, bust bubbles here. The original arcade cabinet would run Taito's B-System hardware, and that was released in Japan in June 1994 under the title Pazur Bobber, a.k.a. Puzzle Bobble. Pazuzu? In fact, Puzzle Bobble was its title everywhere that's not North America. Actually, I think all of the Americas called it Bust a Move. I think it was basically the non-Americas in which it was called Puzzle Bobble. There was a Neo Geo version released in December, and that's the one that everybody else in the world got. And um, the Neo Geo version was made by SNK, whom we discussed in episode 49. We were talking about Vanguard. Was that the only SNK game we've talked about so far? I don't believe so. I don't remember what else, but I think there were maybe one or... Could have been one or two others. I don't remember off the top of my head, though. I'll have to go back and check. Looking at the list here, I don't see anything off the top of my head that uh, is an SNK game. But this is, I think this is the first Neo Geo game we're talking about. Yeah. Well, let's, let's be honest. The Neo Geo arcade system, whatever, is mostly fighting games. And, you know, everybody yeah. knows how we feel about fighting games. The Neo Geo version can be configured for use specifically in the United States if you so desire. And if you set the ROM for the Neo Geo version to be run in the United States, you will see some features that the original Japanese version does not have and will not have if you set it for Japan. This was uh, right at the height of when you started seeing, well, not started, but when you saw those don't do drugs kinds of messages. And there was also a don't litter message. I remember seeing both those. In fact, my uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, my RetroPie boot up screen is the winners don't do drugs uh, <laughs> screen from the arcade games. Yeah. And they replaced the FBI logo with a giant raspberry. <laughs> And the thing is, though, why did they use that in the American version, but not the Japanese version? Did, J did Japanese people just not care if people do drugs and litter? Quite honestly, I've seen some Japanese websites, and they've got more serious problems in Japan. We'll just leave it at that. Like, for one thing, Americans talking about them like that, so. Yeah, that's like the biggest problem. Continue. I will continue about Bust a Move, which was designed by Seichi Nakakuki and with music by Kazuko Umino. Now let's talk about playing Bust a Move. Dun, 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 dun. Bust a Move has 32 levels. Count them, 32. One, two, and, three, four, uh, five, Thank you six, for counting them. While I'm Jimmy G is counting seven, them, eight, I will tell you more nine, about them. Ten, Each nine, level starts 12, out with uh, 15, some seemingly 14, random 15, bubbles 16, of different 18, colors. Now, here's 19, the thing, though. The manual, 20, the arcade 20, manual, 20, actually calls 20, them balls. 20, 20, 20, but um, they're obviously supposed 20, to be 32, bubbles. 32, I counted them all. Okay, great. 
So you counted them all. We have confirmed 32 levels. But yeah, the manual, at least the original Japanese version of the manual, says that they're balls. But they're obviously (laughs) supposed to be bubbles because you can tell by the popping animations in the gameplay. And of course, the history of the series that this game is a part of. And that is Bubble Bobble. Bubble Bobble. Which is a 1986 kind of sort of platform game that we'll talk about on another episode. I have to say, out of all of the games we've talked about, the name Bubble Bobble is probably one of my favorite arcade game names. That's a fun phrase to say, Bubble Bobble. Bubble Bobble. Bubble Bobble. Bubble Bobble. And I'm, I'm, I'm going a little forward here, but the, the two main dinosaurs in those games and all the sequels and all the Puzzle Bobble games are Bub and Bob. Yep. Those are great names for dinosaurs. They really are. Especially like cute, harmless dinosaurs. Yeah. And you are actually controlling Bub and Bob in Bust a Move. And actually, they're not dinosaurs; they're dragons. Oh, that's true. They are. They're they? dragons. They, I've have have seen them called dinosaurs in some descriptions of the game. But you're right; they do kind of look more like dragons. Or are they di- Oh man, I don't know. Either way, either they're way, they're cute and they're named lizards. Bob and Bob. They're kind of some kind of lizards that start with D. All right, let's call them that. So basically, you are controlling Bub and Bob, and what you do is have them destroy bubbles that are stuck to the ceiling of a little arena as it is called bub and bob are located at the bottom of the arena and they use a kind of a pointer it looks it looks kind of like a trebuchet and they aim the pointer at the bubbles to me it kind of looks like when you watch an old movie and there's an elevator in it how it's got the dial yeah yeah. that's what it looks like to me but anyway you are guiding bub and bob to destroy those bubbles So how do they destroy the bubbles? Well, by connecting three or more bubbles of the same color, which Bub and Bob shoot from the bottom of the screen. So in a way, this is if you're familiar with the game Columns, and who isn't? Well, you never know. It's almost like an upside-down version of Columns. And the bubble colors that load onto the pointer are chosen at random, and you cannot control it unless there's a secret way that I don't know how to do it. And to clear a level, to complete a level, you clear all of the bubbles. And uh, what's really helpful is that in the first level, the pointer has a little sight line that helps you with your aim. So you use that sight line, it'll show you exactly where the bubble that you shoot is going to land. And what happens when you shoot a bubble is it goes as far up in the arena as it possibly can until it reaches either the ceiling of the arena or another bubble that's in the way. If the bubble hits a wall before it hits the ceiling or another bubble, it ricochets off the wall. So you are going to be doing a lot of bank shots, basically. You were saying this game uh, kind of reminds you of uh, of Columns. I don't see that so much because one thing this game has that Columns doesn't is uh, this, this game's got um, physics involved in it by you know banking the shots and everything and you can't select the color of the ball uh so i i don't see it being like columns other than the fact that it's a puzzle game and you connect three yeah i mean it's it's got that but there's there's several there's i mean clax was like that too yeah yeah do we need to do it i think we should do a do a uh a video game physics segment here yeah probably yeah. although these are kind of real physics though well i don't know about that because uh-oh. Let me tell you something there. It's time for another edition of 
Video In today's edition of Video Game Physics, we examine the physical world of Bub and Bob in the game Bust a Move. In real-world physics, what happens is if a bubble is shot against a wall, it will be destroyed immediately. Oh, yes. But in the world of Bub and Bob, physics takes a different direction and causes that fragile bubble to simply bounce off of a wall. And if it reaches the top of the ceiling, no matter how hard that bubble is shot, it doesn't get destroyed. The only thing that will destroy that bubble is being matched with two or more other bubbles of the same color. And that, my friends, is what we call video game physics. To be fair, this game's physics, well, it actually has one bit of physics in this game that's actually real, uh, the banking of the shots, uh, unlike other episodes of video game physics. But yeah, if you remember the equal and opposite reaction thing, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, and uh, talked about 32 levels. That's only if you are playing a single player game. If you are playing a oh. two player game, there isn't really a level, so to speak. What happens is you and your opponent are playing at the same time on the same screen, but in separate arenas. And when you pop a group of bubbles, some of those bubbles are going to be added to the bubbles in your opponent's arena, making it difficult for your opponent. And apparently, I wasn't able to actually confirm this directly, but from what I could tell, there may be some versions of Bust-A-Move, uh, the original Bust-A-Move, in which single-player mode can be, you can choose to play such a game against the actual machine itself. I know you can do that in Bust-A-Move 2. Right. Or Bust-A-Move again, say, whatever they're calling it. Let me ask you this. Um, say you're playing a one-player game. You're playing a one-player game. All right, now, somebody puts a token in the machine, some butthole puts a token in the machine and hits the two-player game, does it automatically go to this two-player arena? I believe you can. Um, I didn't actually try it myself, but when you're playing Bust-A-Move, it actually does welcome a player to, there's like a flashing message like indicating that a, a second player is welcome to join. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So this game does theoretically welcome some some butthole. Yes, there, at least from what I can tell, there is a butthole mode in Bust Damn. Move. Yeah. But um, anyway, so uh, something else I should mention. I'm happy to say that today, when we were recording, the day that we are recording this, on my way to work, I decided, you know what, let me actually play a game with the sound on. So I plugged... I fired up MAME in my GPD XD and plugged my headphones into it and actually heard the sounds. Oh, man. The music. Are you familiar with the music in this game? I've been playing Puzzle Bobble off and on the last couple of weeks. Uh, and just today I was playing Puzzle Bobble 2. And um, the music in Puzzle Bobble kind of... Well, after playing Puzzle Bobble 2... I'm not a huge fan of the Puzzle Bobble music, really? but that's just in that's oh, just man. in comparison that's the to Puzzle best Bobble. Part of it, dude. Come on. The, I'm not saying the music is bad. I'm just saying in comparison to Puzzle Bobble Two, it's not as good. Oh, I love I. Well, I I haven't played Bo Puzzle Bobble Two with the sound on yet. I played without the sound, but but the, I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying the music is bad. It's really good, but. But you know, yeah, but, but yeah. I was playing Puzzle Bobble 2 today. B so. Bust a move slash Puzzle Bobble slash Bubble Blaster, whatever you're going to call it. 
I love that music. I love that little Calypso music. And what happens is... Yeah, it is cute. It made me happy. I was on the red line and it made me happy. I mean... Because know? I'm happy. It's like, it's another episode in which there was some music that's really, really catchy. But, uh, I man, I love that music. But what happens is... As the bubbles build and get closer to the to the uh, pointer, like the worse shape you're in, you do not want the bubbles to go all mm-hmm. the way down below the line. There's a line that separates this. your pointer from the arena, and once there is a bubble that reaches below that line, the game's over. Yeah, you you don't get lives in this game. You got pretty much one chance. You got one chance and continues. Right. And uh, what happens is the closer that bubbles get to that line the faster the music plays. And that was the same way in Puzzle Bobble 2. Um, that's a nice feature. It it, uh, it adds a little... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Horseradish. It, it adds um, urgency to the game. Because then, it, you know, your adrenaline gets up and like, oh gosh, come on, I need this, I need this, I need the, the yellow bubble, yellow bubble, yellow bubble, yellow bubble. And uh, I do like that. That's a nice feature. Yeah. And, um, oh, speaking of, well, you notice how we're going kind of back and forth between saying Bust a Move and Puzzle Bobble, and of course it's because just this is a move. series in the Bubble Bobble saga, I guess. And Bub and Bob are the protagonists, of course. And the thing is, what um, I didn't realize is that the enemies from Bubble Bobble actually make cameos in Puzzle Bobble and Bust a Move. Mm-hmm. They are hidden inside the bubbles, and basically they escape, so to speak, when the bubbles explode, the blue bubbles have the enemy whose name in the American version was called bubble. The yellow bubbles have hullabaloon. The red bubbles have super. The green bubbles have Willie. By the way, Willie's name in the Japanese version of bubble bobble is drunk. So it's like drunk Willie. It made me think of drunken Larry. Hmm. I was thinking of, uh, Willie from uh, Coleco. That was my next thought. Yeah. And uh, the purple bubble. But he spells his name W-I-L-L-I-E. Uh-huh. So, And uh, let's see, the purple bubbles have Beluga, which is that whale character. As I say, it looks like a whale, so that's, you know, yeah. effective. Yeah, and um, the orange bubbles have Coily, C-O-I-L-E-Y, not to be confused with C-O-I-L-Y from Cubert. The black bubbles have Incendo, and the white bubbles have Stoner. Hidden inside them. So stoner and drunk are in the game. Yeah. That's something else. <laughs> that's something, except, well, drunk is called Willie in the American version. What's stoner in the Japanese version? I couldn't pronounce it. Nah. But um, something interesting is that Bubble Bobble is not the only video game series that is kind of cameoed in the game, if you will. Because if you watch the credits in the game, you'll see there's a constellation in the shape of a boss character from the Darius series, or that be Darius, Darius. Is that, I think it's kind of I like, called it Darius. I think that's one another game that everybody has their own pronunciation yeah. on. And and you know what? It kind of reminded me of Tinkle Pit in that regard. Well, I mean, come on. Not to the extent that Tinkle Pit would, because like in Tinkle Pit, pretty much every Namco character that ever existed makes a cameo in that. And that was from around the same time. That was from uh, the previous year. Yeah, yeah, true. Bust a Move doesn't go quite that extreme. I don't know. It might have been a mid-90s thing. I, I don't know. But um, Bust a Move. Bust a Move and score some points. How do you score some points? Well, the bubbles are 10 points a pop. Literally. Literally? I mean, literally, when they pop, you score 10 points. 10 points for every bubble that pops. And here's something that's very interesting. 
if you have a chain of bubbles, like for example, there may be two yellow bubbles and below those yellow bubbles, you have one or more bubbles hanging on to those yellow bubbles. Various different colors. It yeah. doesn't matter what colors. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm just arbitrarily picking yellow. If you shoot another yellow bubble up there and connect those two yellow bubbles with a third yellow bubble, of course, what's going to happen is those three yellow bubbles are going to pop and the bubbles that are attached to those yellow bubbles will fall down. You get different point values for each bubble that actually falls down. If one bubble falls, you get 20 points. And for each additional bubble, that's an additional double. So if two bubbles fall down, you get 40 points, three bubbles fall down, you get 80 points Four, you get 160, etc. And it doubles all the way up to 17. If you cause 17 or more bubbles to fall down, you get a total of 1,310,720 points. I have seen that. That's not impossible. It's not to, impossible, uh, but achieve. it is for me. And, I sat there trying to point press for the longest time and I could never get more than a five digit score. It depends on the level. One, uh, a couple of things about the way the levels are designed in this, we'll get back to scoring, is that some of them are just the bubbles are like in a random pattern, but in others, it's an actual puzzle. Yeah. Like you will see like, like a huge S of, uh, of bubbles or something. And then there's one bubble of a, co- of a specific color at the top and if you get that bubble and you can get it, you know, next to it or whatever and pop it, then you get points for everything falling. That's one thing I really like about this game is the fact that there's there's a random level followed by, a pro, uh, you know, a, a set a puzzle level, then a random level and a puzzle level. Uh, and, and it goes like that. That uh, actually increases chances for getting bigger scores when it actually has, you know, a set pattern on the level. Yeah, there there are people who point press the hell out of that. And I can't. I if I try, I immediately lose. Well, just try harder then, young man. I will. I, and you I are will, and me, I will so. listen to that fine calypso music that you don't like. I didn't say I didn't like it. I didn't say I didn't like it. All right. I, fair I, I, in in comparison to Puzzle Bobble Two or Bust a Move Two, the music's not as good. All right, then tomorrow but it's still I'm great to work, music. I'm going to be listening to the music from Bubble Bobble Two or from Puzzle Bobble Two. Anyway, Anyway, um, there is also a bonus that you can get. If you clear a level within five seconds, you get 50,000 bonus points. And uh, basically, your level clearance bonus kind of diminishes as time goes by, very gradually over a minute. And if if it takes you more than a minute to clear the level, you don't get a bonus. That's how to play. And since I talked about scoring points, let's recognize those who have scored lots and lots and lots of points. And uh, according to Twin Galaxies, which only has one track that covers Bust a Move and its Japanese equivalent Puzzle Bobble, um, I don't know how this dude's name is is pronounced. It's Michael Deist or Michael Dist. I don't know. Verified on June 22nd, 2016, he scored 28,912,760. And the other uh, high score source, Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, there are actually um, two different tracks. There's one for Bust a Move, which credits Cy Janna performing on June 1st, 2012 at Spun Spunfot. Spun SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Sp- Oh, yeah, there was, that's another piece of news. Uh, something I wanted to mention earlier, actually. 
Well, uh, you know what? I'm not going to. I want to wait. All, gonna right, wait. all right. Never mind. So Never mind. at Fun Spot during the 14th Annual Classics Championships, Sai scored 5,053,020 points. And Orcade tracks, for some reason, Puzzle Bobble separately. I was surprised at how many actual Puzzle Bobble titled machines there are in the United States because there are a lot listed there. There are some listed for listed as Busta Move, some listed as Puzzle Bobble. But Puzzle Bobble, Chris Teeter, on October 20th, 2011, Teeter scored 11,133,140 at Galloping Ghost. So there you have it. There were some home conversions of Puzzle Bobble Busta Move, so. including the 3DO. Uh, the Neo Geo CD, the se- the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, Game Gear, and of course, as everybody knows, the Wonder Swan, the handheld that Bandai released in Japan, they have Puzzle Bobble as well. And there were numerous, numerous clones. In fact, the one that I was familiar with was called Bubble Heroes, which was released on the Amiga in 2000, and uh, it requires an AGA Amiga, such as the 1200, 4000, or CD32, or an Amiga with a uh, very high-end graphics card, a retargetable graphics card. Oh, if you have a smartphone, there's a clone of this. There are many Just clones of this. On the, the, most, the most famous one, at least according to the number of ads that I see, is probably Bubble Witch. And there was just uh, a, just recently a new uh, Angry Birds game like this. So, Well, I think there yeah. actually is a Taito-sanctioned um, Puzzle Bobble clone if not conversion for smartphones if there is i'm going to have to get that i'll see if i can find it so i know there's one for ios i don't know about uh android but i can look into that and the arcade version had several sequels uh there was bust move 2 aka bust move again aka puzzle bobble 2 there was also puzzle bobble 2x also known as bust move again x spelled ex I got the main ROM for that. The only difference I could tell between that and Busta Move 2 was that it was entirely Japanese. While Busta hmm. Move 2 and Busta Move Again, Puzzle Bobble, that was in English. So I don't, I don't know. There was also Puzzle Bobble 3 and Puzzle Bobble 4. I have not tried those yet. Tried Puzzle Bobble 2 at the recommendation of another podcaster. I forgot what his hmm. name is. Hmm. Um, but there was another podcaster who suggested I try Puzzle Bobble 2, and that was a good suggestion. I love Puzzle Bobble 2. It definitely has the competition mode on it where you can actually play against the machine itself. I, the thing I like about uh, Bust a Move, too, is the, that it's actually got um, a, a screen that's actually made famous in, in earlier title games. In fact, Puznik had this, where you can oh. select which level you want to go to next it has like a pyramid screen hmm. and when you start you can select it you start you complete the first level then you can go to those to a level to the left or a level to the right and then you can like branch off um i think the racing game outrun has a similar right. uh, has a similar thing as well so does puzzle bobble and, 2 uh, i like that did you notice if puzzle bobble 2 also has a super sexy mode i didn't see anything about a super sexy mode because the other title game you mentioned did have super sexy mode, but oh yeah, I see. But what you're saying. anyway, um, something I noticed: I played both Bust a Move Two and Puzzle Bobble Two. That is the American version and the Japanese version. The Japanese version is so freaking much more fun. It's the same game, 
mm-hmm. but the American version took away so much. Like the Japanese version has Bub and Bob and it has between level animations that kind of have a connecting story and the backgrounds are so much nicer to look at. But the American version, Bust a Move 2, doesn't actually have Bub and Bob in it. Instead of seeing them turn the wheel around, you see just, just a hand. And it's what? Like, yeah. It is so in, freaking in, wait, in which version? In the in Bust a Move 2. Not Puzzle Bobble 2, but Bust a Move 2, the Americanized version. Oh, okay. I was playing Puzzle Bobble 2. Right. Yeah. Play Bust a Move 2. You will notice a huge difference. Same exact gameplay, but the graphics are so much better in Puzzle Bobble 2. I didn't notice the hand. I have to. I'll. I'll, I I think I was playing the Japanese one, though, as you were saying. Yeah. Um, I was actually playing some Puzzle Bobble 2 before we recorded tonight, Uh, and uh, I didn't want to stop, so I just put a, uh, a, put save, a state. save state yeah. in, even though Mame says that uh, this game does not officially support save states. Oh, so. Of course. I went from playing the American version to playing the Japanese version. I was like, holy crap, this looks amazing. <laughs> but yeah, try it and get back to me. Let me know what you think. Yeah, I'm going to have to try the, the, the multiple different versions. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and again, I mean, we've talked about this long time ago. I think we first... I don't remember. I think we first brought it up in the Joust episode, where I mean, you could have different versions of the ROMs. I mean, two different two games next to each other, the same game, different settings. Most of the stuff's usually like bug fixes or whatever. Or in this case, I mean, it's you get an American version of the ROM, a Japanese version of the ROM, and they have differences. And, and they have just, different threatening warnings at the beginning too. Threatening. Like, oh yes, like, yes, 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 yes. This game is not to be played outside of Japan. We will have Interpol kidnap your grandmother if we catch in. This game is not to be is played outside of North TV. America or South America, or we will tear the tags off of all your mattresses. I have seen Bust a Move in the arcades. I know I have. I just never played it. I never played Bust a Move, and I'll tell you why. Because I saw that title, I was like, no. I thought Bust a Move. I was like, okay, what What do you think of when someone says, yeah, I'm going to go Bust a Move? That means, yeah, Yo, I'm, I'm going to go to the- Break into Electric Boogaloo. Yep. I was like, I'm not going to play something like that. I didn't realize that it was the bubble game. I did not know that. So, dance Dance Revolution should have been called Bust a Move. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I was like, screw that. I'm not going to play that. And the first time I ever saw a game that looked anything like it was actually Bubble Heroes on the Amiga in 2000. I bought that game and I loved it. I played the hell out of it. It was really cool. It was one of those games where they put in a backstory where basically you have to clear all these levels to rescue a uh, princess mm-hmm. who's going to be murdered by her uncle or something. Why can't it just be a puzzle? I know. I know. It was still a fun game to play, though. And um, but yeah, what else is I going to talk about with this? Uh, and I know I saw this at Galloping Ghost, and I was always like, yeah, I'll get mm-hmm. to that later. I'll get to that. And I never did get to it all the times I've been to Galloping Ghost so far. Well, I have to say, I've 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 seen this from time to time. I didn't realize it was only in the the Neo Geo cabinet. Uh, have we? We don't think we've talked about the Neo Geo cabinet before, no. have we? No. Um, the Neo Geo arcade cabinet and the um, there was a a home Neo Geo system. It was the same exact hardware. And one thing I liked about the Neo Geo arcade cabinet, say like you got you're playing a, a game on the Neo Geo, you have the Neo Geo at home, which would be amazing because that was the most expensive game console at the time the game cartridges were like 150 bucks when they were like 30 bucks for an nes game but um if you had a game you're playing one of the bazillion fighting games on the neo geo console 
and you saved your game to a memory card, you could actually take that memory card to the Neo Geo Arcade game, plug it in, and continue your game on the uh, arcade Oh, game, yeah. Which I thought was cool, but uh, I don't play fighting games, so... Although they had one with, like, Godzilla and stuff. That was pretty fun, but other than that... And I'm trying to remember the first time I've seen Bust-A-Move, and I, I think it was a Bust-A-Move. I don't think it was a Puzzle Bobble. And... I, I can't think of where I saw it. I can't it. think of where I saw it either. I mean, I want to say maybe Louis Joliet Mall, but I don't know. I don't think it was that long ago. I, I know it wasn't at Putt-Putt, at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis, or at Arcade and Keys. I want to think I saw this for the first time at Haunted Trails in uh, in Joliet. You sure it wasn't Tzak's home to celebrate life? Yeah, no, there was a there was a lot of people around this machine. There wasn't, uh, you know, the arcade wasn't dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. I, I want to think it was Haunted Trails. And you know, I'll tell I you. I want to think it was the same place I, the first time I saw the Simpsons game, too, now that I can't I think believe about they're it. still around. Haunted Trails is still up and running. Yeah, it, 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 After it all is. After all this time. And, wow. um, In Joliet. Yeah, the old Rivals Bowling Alley. No, it couldn't have been, because it was the Rivals Bowling Alley. It couldn't have been Haunted Trails. It was, where was it? I don't know, but while you're trying to think of it, I will tell some more anecdotage of uh, Busta Move. I'll tell you the other Dude, reason so. that, the other reason that I didn't really gravitate toward Busta Move, Puzzle Bobble, whatever, was that it was a Neo Geo game. Because mm-hmm. I see a Neo Geo cabinet, I'm immediately turned off. And I'll tell you exactly why. I think I, I've got an inkling, but please continue. Okay. Lydon's Castle in... Uh, Matson, Illinois, at the Lincoln Mall, which I've mentioned many times in this podcast. That's where I did my arcade gaming for the most part when I was a child, once mm-hmm. a month. And in the back room, where I see, I don't remember the bumper cars. That must I must have started going there right after they did away with the bumper cars. But, that must be. But in I think that I think that it was the bumper car room where they did this. Eventually, it was just nothing but cocktail table games. Right. Mm-hmm. And it looked really cool, actually. Oh, and it was. At some point, they got rid of all the cocktail tables. And it was just a bunch of Neo Geo machines, and I was like, "What the uh. hell is this?" And it it just turned me off right away. And to this a day, a bunch of Neo Geo machines. Yep. And to this day, I am turned off at the sight of a Neo Geo machine. That's not what I expected. I watched the attract mode, and you know that's the, the reason why I first played this game. But the thing I hate about the Neo Geo cabinets is when you look at the marquee, what is the biggest thing on that marquee? The words Neo Geo. And then there, yes. because a Neo Geo cabinet can have uh, up to four games in it, or maybe more, I don't remember, but generally all the ones I saw had four games in it. On the marquee, it said Neo Geo, and then there was like four little spaces with a little tiny thing, not much bigger than the uh, the labels that we have made for our podcast with the name of the game, a picture, and how to play. And you really could not see it that well. I mean, it was... It, it, it yeah, looked... in fact, that's that's exactly the, where I... Where I it, it just now occurred to me. That's exactly what turned me off about them because I thought, wait a minute, isn't Neo Geo like a home console? It's mm-hmm. like, what are these like pay versions of a home console? No freaking way am I gonna play? Am I gonna waste my tokens on this crap? Now, to be fair, they did actually have some arcade. They did have a lot of arcade exclusive games that you, which I, I didn't believe, know at the time. Which I believe you could not get on the uh, the home console, but otherwise the hardware was exactly the same, and I believe it took the same cartridges. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. But yeah, I mean, the console is like it. <laughs> 
there, there, there was another uh, arcade console that was a similar thing that kind of turned me off a little bit too, although I did play it a few times, and it was actually a Super Nintendo arcade console, and um, which, come to find out uh, uh, from, uh, from Doc Mac, uh, that machine did not actually take the Super Nintendo cartridges. It had its own thing, but it, the programming is basically the same on them. But, I mean, it was the same thing, where it had multiple games in it, you could choose from them, but the, you know, had little little things on the marquee, to, you know, telling you what the, what games are on it. And I get the concept, not a bad idea, but there, there had to have been a better way to advertise what games were on that machine. The concept of the Neo Geo in the Super Nintendo arcade machines, not bad concept, could have been implemented better. Just leave it at that, I yeah, guess. And, I and also, that's probably why also um, the times when Doc Mac would have his Monday night unveiling is that, and this is a Neo Geo cabinet, I'd be like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Fighting game. Fatal Fury. Yeah, I know. They have fighting games at Galloping Ghost? Yeah. Really? Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Go figure. But hey, I think I've said all I have to say about um, about buzz, about puzz, pot, Puzzle Bobble. About the, puzzle the, the game where you make things explode um, and yep. fall down. Uh, do you have anything further to add to uh, it? I, I like the game. Oh, um, I love it's, it. It's, I, it. The music is, it, it, it's, it's just a cutesy game all over. Oh, God. It, it, was, it is so classic cutesy Japanese mid-90s game. Um, and one thing I think this game has going against it is something that you brought up for actually of all games tinkle pit and that it seems like it should be a super nintendo game however i can see I that don't th- and, and it was i mean it was on as you were saying it was on consoles it was on the snes it was on the uh, i believe it was uh no it was Buster move 2 that was on the playstation 1 now that i think about it i i don't really think that detracts from this like it does did with like tinkle pit I don't know, it's just a, it's, it's a cutesy game. I don't play it all the time, but, you know, it's one of those games like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I'm going to play it a little bit. And, like, then you're like, why haven't I been playing this more after you've played it a little bit? It's one of those type of games. Exactly. As I was alluding to, I like Bust a Move 2 better. It has a lot better features, but we're not sure. talking about Bust a Move 2. We're talking about Bust a Move. And I'm going to go ahead and rate it, and I'm going to rate Bust a Move a 4. I can see that. I can see that. And, and and coming up with my rating of number of continues that I award Busta Move, I'm considering a lot of things. I'm considering, first of all, the playability. It is a fun game. It is thing is like it's hard to find a like line the color. I, I just listened to the recent the most recent Super Podcast Brothers episode today. I forgot if they came up with a general term for like Tetris columns kind of thing, clacks, whatever. But when you have a game like this, it's hard to do it wrong. Busta Move does it right. They, they have the color matching yep. and everything. It's very creative. It's a very creative way of implementing that kind of thing. And of course, man, not, and after hearing the music, it's like, oh man, I got to keep playing this. And it's one of those games in which you could be having a really, really, really good game. And then all of a sudden, just something completely Fs you up. And it gets you so freaking angry and the game's over and you're huffing and puffing and you're like, let me try it again. (laughs) It (laughs) makes you come back. And so considering all that stuff, I have to give this, I have to give bust a move slash puzzle bobble a five continues out of five. I really, I I really have to. I I probably would have rated it higher had I not played bust a move too. 
and to be quite honest, part of it is actually because of my memories of playing Bubble Heroes on the Amiga, because I mm-hmm. remember just absolutely being floored by that. And I spent a lot of time playing that game. Uh, and that was fairly early in my marriage, too. You think I'd want to spend more time with my wife, but <laughs> I, which I'm sure I did. But of course, you know. So I think with that, it's time to move on to our next game. Oh, think? let's do. Yes. Yes, we are talking about Jungle Hunt. Jungle Hunt. Uh, jungle Hunt. Oh, wee, oh, wee, oh. Ah, Jungle um, Hunt. Jungle Hunt is a Yay, jungle hunt. game. Yay, Jungle Hunt. And I forgot to write down the year. I wanted them to think it was 1982. Taito, in the game, you play as a jungle explorer trying to get through several screens to save your girlfriend. The game uh, has an eight-way joystick on the console, and you have a one button, well, two actually, one on each side of the joystick. It's a jump slash knife. That's actually how it labeled. it's labeled. And you have to get through, as I was saying, four different screens to, and to get to the girlfriend and save her and move on to the next level. First of all, vines. You're basically swinging from vine to vines to get to the river. And... Um, the game starts out, your jungle explorers is on, is on a branch, then you jump off, you hit the jump button. The first sequence, you don't use the joystick at all. Just timing your jump. Hit the jump button at the right time. The different vines, they will swing at different speeds, and starting on the second level, there is a, uh, a monkey that will hang onto the vine, and if you touch him, uh, you will fall to your death. If you hang on to the vine long enough, you will actually fall off. And um, that also holds true for the starting position on the branch at the beginning of the game. So uh, I did not know that. Uh, yep. See, I, I look at this stuff. Uh, I did neglect to mention you do have a timer to complete all four uh, screens in a level. This is something that I actually had to double check. Uh, I actually double checked it before we recorded today. Uh, You have 5,000 ticks of time to complete all four screens in a level. Every second that you play the game, the timer uh, decrements by 10 ticks of time. So why didn't they just have it for 500 and decrement it one? I I don't know. But at any rate, so you basically have 500 seconds, which works out to about... uh, Um, About seven and a half minutes. Seven and a half, yeah, seven and a half minutes to complete all four screens. I don't know if that's going to be a an impossibility, but there you go. So at any rate, after you've completed all of the vines, then you have to go to the Crocodile River. There are crocodiles in this river. There are red and pink, pink crocodiles. You cannot kill them if their mouth is fully open. If you try touching them, even if you hit the knife button, uh, you'll lose your life. But if their mouth is partially open, you can kill them. Uh, every now and then, you will, there will be air bubbles that push you to the surface of the river. And if it does that, you have no control. I mean, it just pushes you up. I mean, there's no control with the joystick, no control with your knife button, nothing. And on top of that... Are there, is there any differences between the two types of alligator, uh, two types of crocodiles there? I tried figuring that out when I was playing points. this, but... Oh, that's it? That appears to be all... Oh, no, no, no. Actually, there is more. Uh, actually, there is more. Uh, I'll get to that in just uh, in just a moment. Um Right to. They have different behaviors, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, so, anyway, the air bubbles will push you to the surface. Uh, you have a diving meter, which you every now and then you'll have to go up to the top of the river to refill your diving meter. I don't know how you refill dive. 
I should say air or oxygen because that's something you can refill. I don't know how you refill a diver. I don't know. But anyway, after you complete that screen, then you have the mountainside or the boulder screen. Uh, you're running up an incline and you have to jump over or duck under boulders to get to the end. Uh, there are two kinds of boulders. There are small ones. They're the most common. They can be jumped over or in some cases ducked under. And then the large ones, they can be ducked under or jumped over. You see just the opposite. So there's that. And then the final screen, all the screens up to this point scroll. Uh, the final screen, the Headhunters, which is kind of racist and <laughs> a little bit, actually. This screen is just one screen. It doesn't scroll. And uh, in this screen, your girlfriend is hanging from a rope that constantly moves up and down. And she's hanging over a pot of boiling water. The, the cannibals are going to make soup out of her. So at any rate, two headhunters move back and forth, and they've got spears stabbing upwards. And every now and then, a uh, starting, I think, on the second, uh, the second level, a third uh, headhunter appears in the trees, shooting arrows down at the explorer. And you have to save your girlfriend by jumping over the headhunters and then jumping up and, you know, getting her when the rope is kind of lower. The ways you can die in this game, first of all, running out of time, duh, Falling, getting pushed off of uh, off of a vine or losing grip of the vine, getting eaten by a bloody great crocodile, crushed by a rock, uh, getting touched, shot, or stabbed by a headhunter, or landing in the pot of boiling water. That's something you don't want to do. So, scoring. Every time you successfully jump between vines, you get 100 points. Stabbing crocodiles and alligators are 100 points. Uh, if their jaws are open, you get 100 points. And if they're deeper in the water, you get another 100 points. So you could get 300 points for stabbing the uh, the crocodiles or the alligators. Uh, jumping over a rock gets you 200. Ducking under a rock gets you 100 points. Running under a rock gets you 50 points. Jumping over one of the cannibals gets you 100 points. Okay, and, and I tried looking at this, uh, um, tried confirming these last two things, but I didn't get a a good look at it. Finishing stages one through three nets you 500 points. However, after that, if you finish stage four and all the stages thereafter, you get a bonus based on how much time is left on the timer, which that's kind of weird because every, almost every other game that has a timer, either the timer just makes you lose a life or, you know, if it runs out or if you complete the level, you get bonus points based on the timer. This one, I mean, it does, you'll lose the life, obviously, but you only get the timer bonus starting on stage four, which, like I said, I had a hard time trying to f see if that was uh, indeed the case. That actually makes sense, because the timer doesn't actually count all the way down. Like, it doesn't reset after each of the stages. No, it doesn't. It just keeps constantly counting because down. Because think about this, like, what happens in timer games where you get a bonus timer? It actually basically counts down the timer and adds your bonus points with each tick. Right. What are they going to do? Reset your timer every time you go to another stage? Obviously, uh, first after you're done with the first level, I mean, obviously it'll reset, but not for each different screen, which is, which all the other, all other games are different in that, in that regard, because Donkey Kong, the first level is, t is actually composed of the ramp screen and then the, uh, Maybe sequence is a better way, but the ramp screen and then the, uh, you know, where you got to walk over the, the, I guess, the plug screen. And then, for, for, but for each screen, the time resets. You don't have X amount of time to complete both screens. And that's what this game does. So, 
Let's go on to some tips and hints here. Uh, for the vine screen, it, it's pretty much just all timing. Um, you hang on to the vine, it's swinging back and forth. You jump and you grab the other vine. And the second you hit the other vine, the screen scrolls. However, while the screen's scrolling, you can still jump. But that's a blind jump. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure you at least get the timing down of the next vine. I used to suck at this game because I did not have patience. I wanted to get through the screen as fast as possible. Yeah. Patience. You have plenty of time to complete the levels in this game. Plenty of time. Starting on the second level, like I said, uh, you'll get monkeys on the vine. They will throw you onto the ground. And starting on level four, you jump slower. Momentum from swinging on the vines is probably the most important thing in this sequence. So your best bet on these screens is when you jump from vine to vine, try, try to land on the lower half of the vine because you're swinging further. And physics, although not video game physics... The faster the vine goes and the lower you are, the more speed you'll get to get to the next vine. And uh, that's uh, something to keep in mind here. Momentum is your friend. Uh, Bloody Great Crocodile River, where you can be eaten by a bloody great crocodile. Now, you were asking, is there a difference between the two different types of crocodiles? Well, I'm glad you asked, feathered friend. That was kind of weird. Okay, because there are no birds in this game. But um, there are two different kinds of crocodiles. Uh... I don't believe it's based on their color. There's ones that have smaller teeth, and there's one that have bigger teeth. The uh, small-toothed ones just kind of move randomly, but the ones with bigger teeth try to follow you very, very quickly. So watch out for that. No, look out for that. Look out for that. Yeah, look out for that. I will use the other phrase in just a moment here uh, as we talk more about this game. Now, the boulder screen... Moving the joystick left or right makes you speed up or slow down. Push it to the left, you'll speed up. Push it to the right, you'll slow down. If you push the joystick down, you will duck. However, when you duck, the screen stops, and you're just waiting for whatever boulders or something to roll to hopefully take a jump and go over you. Now, I did not know this, and I did not try this. If you're jumping and you hold the joystick up in an up-left, up-right up right position, not alt-right, but up-right, you'll jump higher. I did not know that. So I, I'm going to have to try that. I've not tried that. Here's the second time I'm saying this in this episode. I call bullshit. Yeah, I do too. Because I actually tried that when I was playing. I tried that in the cannibal screen. Made no difference whatsoever. It might not work the same on that screen. Because pretty much all the controls are different from screen to screen. The possible, with the exception of you know this one and the, uh, and, and yeah, the that's true. screen. But that's true. It might be different. I don't know. I, but that's something to look out for. And you basically just got to watch out for the, the boulders to see where they're going to be, to see whether you can duck underneath them or to jump over Wait, them watch whatever. out for what? Did you say watch out for snakes? Watch out for snakes. No, I didn't. Not yet. But we will get to that. One thing I forgot to mention about Crocodile River, and this wasn't actually in any of the, uh, in, in any of the sources that I saw, but uh, when you're going through the Crocodile River, there I was saying watch out for the air bubbles. In the first sequence, there's only two sets of air bubbles that will come up, but the the further you get into the game, the more instances of the air bubbles will be coming up from the bottom of the screen. So, you know, so there is that. And the reason I bring that up now is because the first level, there's only two large boulders on the boulder screen, uh, but there are more of those as you progress further into the game. So with that, let's talk about whom. 
Basically, Atari had the rights to port this. Uh, they ported it to the Atari 2600, the Atari 5200, and the ColecoVision, if we're talking about game consoles. All three of them are very good renditions of the game, I guess, as if you were. The ColecoVision one is on the ColecoVision flashback unit that was sold a couple of years ago. And the ColecoVision version is, I would say, probably pretty close to being the best out of all three of these versions. Uh, I was playing it a little bit last night, and I don't have an Atari 8-bit emulator on my uh, computer. I need to put one back on there, uh, so I couldn't judge that one. Um, But, uh, you know, the ColecoVision version is good. But if you have an Atari 2600, the Atari 2600 version of Jungle Hunt is really good. You need to invest Uh, in an Atari Max cart and use it on the 65XE. I've been thinking about doing that, actually. Can't do it now, but I have been thinking about it. But that having been said, it, Atari did port this to the computers of the day. It was on all the Atari 8-bits. Uh, it was on the Apple II, the PC, the Texas Instruments 99-4A, and the Commodore VIC-20 and Commodore 64. Now, this is where this game gets interesting. This game was actually has had four different names. Wait, Four? Four, and I'll explain that. I can first I know of all, three of them. What's the fourth one? First of all, the one we all know, the one we're talking about, is Jungle Hunt. This was supposedly the most widely, um, widely uh, distributed version of the game. However, the game was originally called Jungle King in the arcade. Now, first of all, there are differences between Jungle King and Jungle Hunt. Jungle King, the gameplay is exactly the same. However, your main character looks like Tarzan. And it has the Tarzan yell at the beginning of the game instead of that little musical theme. A digital the reason, yell, too. Yes. Yeah, it was. It's sampled. And the reason they changed it to Jungle Hunt is they got sued by the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate. That caused a, a recall of Jungle King. And, um, you know, apparently Jungle Hunt was the more common game. But to be perfectly honest, all I ever saw was Jungle King. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, To I'm, this day. You know, to, the, to this day, it's the only one that we've ever seen, so I don't know about that. Now, when this game was being programmed, uh, the prototype name of the game was Jungle Boy. Ah. See, that's the fourth one. Uh, and if you would have read my notes, you would have known Why that. would I read your notes when you're the one talking about it? Well, to give you some information. Well, I'd get the I information liked... during the recording anyway. <laughs> As I said... Um, and here's, this is the most interesting part of this game. I mean, there's the Edgar Wright's Burroughs lawsuit and all of that. But there was a third version of this game in the arcade. Pirate Pete. Pylon Pete? What? This is Pilot Pete. Pylon Pete? Nope, not Pylon Pete. Pirate Pete. It is the same exact game as Jungle Hunt, with the exceptions of the game is a pirate theme. You're no longer Tarzan or a jungle explorer. You are a pirate. The first sequence, you're swinging from a rope from mast to mast on on a pirate ship. The second screen, it's not Crocodile River or Crocodile Creek or Crocodile Rock. Now it's the ocean, and the crocodiles are replaced with sharks. And I might add, when I was playing Pirate Pete, I noticed something interesting about the the uh, the sharks in Pirate Pete. In Jungle King Jungle Hunt, they just open, the, the crocodiles open their jaws. Yeah. The sharks, when they open their mouth, it looks like Charlie Chuck eating the ice cream cone in Food Fight. Really? <laughs> That's what it looks like to me, swear to God. Now, there's one other change. On the boulder screen in Jungle King Jungle Hunt, the uh, the top of the tree line is like way up 
to the top of the screen. And above that, obviously, it has your scores and the number of your lives are on the bottom of the screen on, below all the action. But at the top, it has, a, it has a tree line. On Pirate Pete, the tree line is lower. And you have to watch your jumps because there are creatures in the trees that pop out that you can actually get killed by, by if you jump too high. Yes, you have to watch out for snakes. Watch out for snakes. I think this is the first game we've talked about where you actually have to watch out for snakes. For Ucker. Okay, this is the second game we've talked about where you have to watch out for snakes. So, Nibbler. Watch out for snakes. I would be remiss talking about Jungle King, Jungle Hunt, Pirate Pete, Jungle Boy, Jungle Love, O-E-O-E-O, without talking about the game Tarzan for the ColecoVision. And I'm almost wondering if Coleco saw all of this going on and they decided to snap up the video game rights to the Tarzan character. It's not a port of of Jungle Hunt. It's actually more of an adventure-type game. It's obviously inspired by Jungle Hunt. The object is you got to go through the jungle and free a bunch of gorillas that are being held by hunters, which looks kind of like your character in Jungle Hunt. Figure that out. And um, you can swing from vine to vine, and uh, it's not a very good game. Uh, The game has a horrible, horrible frame rate. I mean, ColecoVision games didn't really have a good frame rate, didn't really have smooth animation graphics to begin with, but this game was really bad in that regard. When you punch... Uh, an enemy uh, of whatever, uh, I don't know. I mean, there are enemy gorillas. There are bad gorillas and good gorillas in this game. Um, or uh, the enemy jungle explorers in this game. The second you punch, your character freezes for a moment. And if you don't make contact with another character, the other character will run around and can actually kill you while you're frozen from the punch. That is terrible, horrible. The thing that I think that makes the game worse, though, is you could be walking, 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 and then all of a sudden you fall into a pit for no reason. You don't see the pit. They just, there's no indication that there's a pit there or anything. You have to remember where they Wait, are. Wait, are you, are you sure you're not talking about E.T.? Trust me, the pits in Tarzan are much worse, because at least you can see the pits in E.T. And um, you might want to check out the, uh, the review of uh, Tarzan for the ColecoVision on the videogamecritic.com website. We will have a link in the show notes. And the links are actually in my notes, too. So, there's your, there you go. And something I didn't know, uh, Milton Bradley actually did release a board game based on Jungle Hunt. Really? Uh, apparently so. Good I've Lord. not seen it. Neither have I. Um, and you know what? I'm going to take just a moment here. I, I should have looked for uh, an image of this earlier. Oh, yeah, here here we go. Here's a picture of the uh, Jungle Hunt board game. And uh, let's pull up this article from aboardgameaday.blogspot.com. They did a write-up of it in 2014. This is... interesting. While I really do enjoy finding board games based on video games, I must admit, this one, is a, uh, this one is of a game I have never played. Checked out on my... Atari 2600 collection, see it was buried in there somewhere, but no dice. So my review on this one can't really include any comparison. Uh, condition of the game. Each player chooses a pawn and places it on the start space. In Jungle Hunt, pawns may only move one, may only move when holding on to one of the five ropes which swing from the center of the board. The blue, yellow, green, and red ropes could only move within sections of the board which match in color. The brown rope may move freely between any section of the board. On their turn, players spin the spinner 
spin the big prize wheel and make as many movements as are indicated by the spin. Ropes may move within their colored sections one space per movement point. Pawns may move. Okay, so it's kind of replicating the the swinging of the vines and uh, the jumping from uh, rope to rope. But, let's see, if a player spins the mad monkey space on the spinner, that player may move the mad monkey pawn. The mad monkey can move to any rope regardless of its current position and immediately pushes the lowest explorer off of the rope. The explorer is then placed in the start space of the board. Okay, how do you win the game? Uh, okay, his final verdict was, it's a pretty clever game adaptation which just didn't end up enjoyable enough for me to care about it that much. He gives it a solid average, three of five. So, yeah, he gives it a, he doesn't give it a perfect five out of seven. So... Yeah, seriously, um, the, most of those video game board games were kind of boring. Pac-Man was pretty cool, Donkey Kong was pretty cool, but I think Frogger could, Frogger could have been better. Berserk was boring as all hell, so... I still don't see how you could do a Berserk board game. I mean, I, you could do a Berserk game like Dungeons and Dragons, I could see, but not a board well, game. Well, the thing is, the ro- like the Berserk board game is a grid of squares, and in order to kill a robot, it has to be in the square next to you, and there's like a little kind of, there's like a lever on your little character that you push, and, mm-hmm. the, and the guy will like pop out a, a couple of laser guns and knock over the robot. Interesting, but so we will have a link to that in the show notes. Oh, also. yes, we will. So that's pretty much it for uh, for Jungle Hunt. Um, it's interesting that there was like there were the four, it was under four different names, albeit one was prototype. The game's graphics are, I mean, they get the job done. I mean, it's typical Taito type graphics for that particular era. I had the same boring green with the uh, dark green lettering, you know, Taito on the side of the cabinet. Yeah. Uh, the artwork on the marquee was was fine. On the home versions, the uh, the jungle explorer's name was Dudley Dashley, and I don't think he, he had a name in the arcade, did he? He, I don't believe he did. Uh, the woman was named Lady Penelope in the home versions. Something I have to mention about uh, another difference between Jungle King and Jungle Hunt. After you save the uh, save the girl, save Lady Penelope. It comes up with a screen, and it shows her next to you, and it slowly types out, I'd like to buy a vowel. Is there a, a, a Y? And then an exclamation point. And it shows Lady Penelope at that point after that's all spelled out, kissing the explorer. In Jungle King, the Tarzan-like character looks... The graphics are the same. I mean, it looks typical. I mean, it looks like her or Lady Penelope or whatever, and the Tarzan guy should belong in the same picture. You know, they look like they were done by the same artist. In Jungle Hunt, the explorer, in my opinion... First of all, he looks like he's 60. (laughs) Lady Penelope looks like she's 25 tops. Okay, but the explorer also looks grotesque, in my opinion. He just does not look right. The, the artwork is a totally different style. You could tell that the artwork of the of the explorer in that particular scene was done by somebody else entirely. It was not the same style of artwork, and it just does not belong. I just thought that that was kind of like I don't know, maybe not grading is the word, but it was um, 
bizarre. It, it just did not fit in. It just did not look like it should go there. And I would be remiss about if I did not talk about Pirate Pete a little bit. Pirate Pete, in my opinion, is just an insult. It's just another way they re-released the same game under a different name, different graphics. And it's not even a sequel. I mean, a movie sequels... Let's be honest, with the possible exception of uh, Jason Goes to Hell, every single one of the Friday the 13th movies are the same. Same plot. Guy goes in, kills, but they just put a different name on it. People come see it by the, the dozens. And I want to think that they were doing that with Pirate Pete. Pirate Pete was totally phoned in, and it just was not, did not need to be released at all. Was it meant to be, say, as another another game in the Jungle Hunt series, or was it meant to be like another game that just coexisted? See, like in I don't some know. Places it was, yeah, well, that's, that's well. I mean, thing. it's a totally different theme and totally different character. So I don't think and and the headhunters at the end of the game in the in the final screen in Pirate Pete were replaced by enemy pirates. So I don't think it was supposed to be a sequel. I think it was supposed to be a, its own standalone thing. Right. The only thing I can think of is I wonder if they were trying to, if they did Jungle Hunt as sort of a quick kludge to avoid the lawsuit, but then with Jungle P- or with uh, Pirate Pete, they tried to move it further away so that they would avoid more lawsuits. That's the only thing I could think of. I don't know, but if you ask me, like Jungle Hunt, I think what it was a great idea given what was going on at the time. Well, Pitfall and Pitfall Two mm-hmm. were massive successes. You had the Raiders of the Lost Ark saga going on, mm-hmm. including the Howard Scott Warshaw uh, Atari 2600 video game as well. Mm-hmm. So that kind of you know explorer kind of thing was going on all over the place. I was thinking Pitfall, uh, Pitfall as well. Not just so much Pitfall 2, because I think that came out like a year or two after Jungle Hunt, Jungle King, Pirate Pete did. But the uh, but Pitfall, I'm, I'm almost wondering if they created this game to compete with Pitfall or if it was one of those deals where it was just being developed at the same time and it just, you know, had I imagine it was developed at the same time, personally. I would probably, that's, that's probably it. Um, Jungle Hunt, Jungle King, Pirate Pete, the graphics are all snazzy. And the parallax scrolling. The parallax scrolling is really good. Oh, one other thing about Pirate Pete. The music in Jungle Hunt and Jungle King is fine. I like it. I mean, it's it's catchy music. The music in Pirate Pete is just downright horrific. It is terrible. It's probably the worst music I have heard in a game that we've talked about ever you know, on this podcast. Now, fortunately, this isn't a review of Pirate Pete. So I, I, I'll, I'll just... Th- here's all I'll say about Pirate Pete. Give it a couple of whirls. Play Jungle King first. Jungle Hunt, Pirate Pete. Uh, there actually is a, um, uh, not a prototype, but there is a um, pirated version of uh, Jungle King available in MAME actually called Jungle Boy, which I said earlier, that was uh, the name for the prototype. So, you know, whatever. But uh, play Jungle Hunt, Jungle King. Give Pirate Pete a couple of whirls, and it's the same game, but I think with the exception of maybe the graphics in the first stage, it's it's a letdown. It is a huge letdown. Now, yeah, the graphics in that first stage are just plain weird. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, Jungle Hunt, Jungle King, the graphics are fine. It's got some catchy music. I really like the music, Jungle Hunt, Jungle King. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention in the previous episode, uh, the first place I played Spy Hunter, uh, I realized. Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet, all boom, done. Okay, 
As for Jungle Hunt, the first place I ever played it was actually at the 7-Eleven on Caton Farm Road and US 30 in... Ah. Unincorporated Will County at the time. Was it unincorporated? I don't know. I, th- yeah, I think I nowadays think it, it's considered I Crest Hill. I, that's the area I grew up in. Uh, I know I lived in unincorporated Will County. It's Joliet now. The 7-Eleven I know was serviced by Crest Hill Police, so they probably had a Crest Hill, Illinois mailing address. It got kind of goofy there because there was... Until the Louis Joliet Mall opened in 1978. Yes, 1978. That was all unincorporated. And then Joliet, yeah. through weird annexing, annexed the Louis Joliet Mall. Apparently, the Louis Joliet Mall wanted to be actually annexed by Plainfield. But Plainfield wanted to remain a small village. They didn't want a mall. So, yeah, I played it at the 7-Eleven at the, at the, for the first time at Caton Farm Road. That's, I think, believe I said the first place I ever played Tempest as well. And... Um, my impressions, my opinions on Jungle Hunt, Jungle King. It's a fine game. It's fine to play. But as I was playing it, I only turned on the uh, infinite lives cheat, not the invincibility or anything. But the more I was playing it, the, the further I got into the game, it just got repetitive. I mean, yeah. it's fine for the first couple levels, but it just gets repetitive the longer you play it. It doesn't really introduce more variety. I mean... F- there's not a lot of variety for a four-screen game. And had I not turned on the cheats, I can get through the first level and I can get about halfway through the second the, the second level. I can I can actually get past the headhunters. Again, it's all about timing. You have plenty of time to complete the level. You just don't have to just jump into a situation right away. The only the only ones where you have to keep moving are pretty much the boulder screen and the crocodile river. You don't have to keep moving on the vines. You don't have to keep moving on the on the, the headhunter screen. Right. Um, but I I don't hate this game, but I don't love it either. You know what I'm saying? It's it's kind of a middling game for me. I mean, I'll play it, and I really like the home versions of this game. The home versions of this game are phenomenal. Yeah, the home fact, versions are the reason to play it, actually. Yeah, and honestly, I, I probably like the home versions better. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you know what? I have to honestly say that I like the home versions of this game better than the arcade game. I don't think I've said that about uh, any other... I may have said it about another game, but uh, yeah. I No, no, I said that about Xevious, because I said I liked the 7800 version of Xevious better than the arcade. I do remember that, but uh, and I love Xevious in the arcade. Do they have the cathedrals in the 7800 version? Yes, they do. They have all the hidden stuff in the 7800 version that is in the arcade. The flags and the citadels. Thank you, Matt Burke. <laughs> I pretty much have to give this game a three. It's not a great game. It's not a terrible game. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's it's just kind of there. As I said, it has to do with the lack of variety. There's really not a lot of strategy in this game. It's all about timing. Everything in this game is about timing. It's not there's not really strategy at all. Yeah, I I, I got to give it a three. I can't I can't go any higher higher than that to to be perfectly honest with you so what about you what have you to say about this game or the first oh we didn't even talk about scores yet did we not yet so, we can do that eventually well we but, can do uh, that after our ratings but uh, yeah, or whatever. so, so um, give me your give yeah. me your opinions opinions on the jung- jungle hunt where does where's the first place you played it i've never played jungle hunt except on the atari 2600 you know why because it was always a jungle because king. it was always a jungle king in the arcade and uh, sometime in the, around that time, probably around 1983, the Kroger in Bourbonnais 
on Route 45, which is now a uh, like a Riverside Medical Center supply place or something. They built, I actually built a new Kroger right next to it. Yeah, they did. The corner. Yeah. I first played Jungle King. It was, it was a Jungle King at the Kroger in Bourbon on Route 45. And I remember I absolutely saw it, possibly even played it at the Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall in Matson, And it was also a Jungle King. And what was killing me was that I would hear the kids in school and neighbors and stuff talk about this game called Jungle Hunt. And I was like, what's Jungle Hunt? And they said, oh, it's this game where you swing out on vines. And I was like, that's Jungle King. Shut up, Sean. It's Jungle Hunt. You don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, fine, go to Kroger and tell me what, tell me the name of the game they have there. <laughs> but yeah, I did not know about And I think, you know what? I think I did see a Jungle Hunt on Starcade. I think when Possibly. they played it, I think when they played it on Starcade, it, it had already been a Jungle Hunt by then. But, I would think with with it actually being on television, they could not use the version that was... Um, oh, I could imagine, yeah. Yeah, you know, because they would have gotten in more... There would have been more legal crap if that would have gotten on TV. Oh, sure, sure. King had. So, yeah, and um, my opinion... I, You and I pretty much are aligned with each other with our opinions in this game. Uh, Jungle King, Jungle Hunt, Pylon, Pete, whatever. It's... Well, I'll tell you what, it's one of these games in which I will keep playing only until I can get past the headhunters. I can't, mm-hmm. even if I time it so that they're not, it's basically what happens is they kind of rhythmically stab and you have to time your jump so that they're not stabbing when you jump. And you, the headhunters move back and forth. They never cross paths, but one of them no. uh, actually moves a little bit faster than the other one. So you got to yes. time that too. It's, it's all timing. And the stabbing motion is also... They're, they're like the stabbing, the, the speed of the stabbing motion is different on the yes. other one too. And it seems to me that whenever I jump, they take, oh, there's a guy in the air. Hurry up, stab him. It's like there's an extra stab and it always, they always shoot me down with it. Mm-hmm. It's like stab, 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 jump, stab, 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 stab. And it's like, whoa. And once you get the timing down, I mean, it's, I mean, uh, one other thing I forgot to mention is uh, after the first level on the boulder screen, you got more of the large boulders, but the uh, the smaller boulders will actually uh, group up to where you would have to jump over like two or three of them at one time and make faster jumps because the first couple of levels, the boulders are spaced fairly evenly, but that goes away pretty quick. But anyway, uh, I forgot to mention that, but uh, continue. But yeah, continue and, with your, your opinions on and this. The thing is, every time I play Jungle King... It really annoys me. It angers me. And so, oh, another observation I'd like to point out in the rope portion, or the vine portion, you're either going to ace it or you're going to bomb it. There's no in between. If you screw one of them up, you're going to screw it. You're going to lose all your lives before you get to the boulder scene. That's my observation. Yeah. For me, the most frustrating part of the game is in, Crocod- in the Crocodile River. If you get caught up on one of the air bubbles, I mean, you might as well have just lost that life, especially Not later on in the game. I got caught up in the air bubbles a couple of times this past Saturday. I was fine. You just, yeah, but, you just better later, hope the, that there the, aren't any crocodiles coming well, your Well, that's way. just the thing. The later you get into the game, or the first level, there's only like two sets of the bubbles coming up. But the more you go on, they become more frequent, and the more likely you're going to die, you know, if you get caught up in one of those. And it just, I don't know, it... I know you can you can get around it, yeah, but and the game is just pretty, as I said, the game's all timing. There's no strategy. Oh well, yeah, yeah. That's well, actually, there is a little bit of strategy. I mean, in the, the last screen, in the, the river, the, screen. the river scene, I can get through pretty easily. To me, I, that's that's easy for me. 
running up the hill at the boulder thing, my strategy is simply if it's a smaller one, jump. If it's a larger one, duck. And it's yeah. and that's that's all you gotta do. And the only thing that I ever had a problem with in that particular portion was jumping too soon. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was the yeah. dangerous thing. It seems like if you just nick one of the boulders, you lose a life. Oh yeah, just yeah. barely touch it. I mean, it's it's like it's got ultra precise. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, you just nick one of those, but then detection. the very last boulder, what happens at the end of that scene? You jump on top of it. Yes, and that's a gigantic boulder. It can never kill you. It's just for the interstitial, I guess. That must that must be it. some kind of some kind of special bolt, like a soft boulder or something. Maybe it's a maybe it's a large boulder from the Rocky Mountains. I, maybe one in Colorado, perhaps. I I don't know. But boulder, the thing Colorado, is, the game is so freaking there. frustrating because I'm finding it impossible to get past the headhunters at all. I spent several, 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 several iterations of Jungle King playing this past mm-hmm. Saturday, trying to, and I couldn't do it, and I couldn't get past ninety one hundred points, and I was getting very, very angry. And it was an angry that wasn't making me feel challenged to try again. Unlike say with bust a move puzzle bobble. This game can be very, very frustrating. Yeah. And, uh, the gameplay itself, it, it, otherwise, otherwise the gameplay would be, would be fun. It would be challenging, but I really, I really want to like it more. I can't go higher than three continues myself. I think we we were both agreed that if you're going to play this game, play one of the various home versions, the home versions are better. In fact, the whole game seems like it's better suited for a console. Yeah, and yeah, play play the home versions if you if you have a choice. You know, play the play the arcade versions so you can see what you're getting into. But then try the the, the Atari twenty six hundred version is just very good. Then move on to the the Atari eight bits, the ColecoVision, the whatever. The the home versions are much better. Sure. How about we talk about uh, high school scores? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right. According to Orcade.com, E-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, Edward Lee on August 24th, 2014 at Galloping Ghost Arcade scored 1,228,720. And I think that's normal settings, basically marathon settings, if you will. Um, Twin Galaxies does both regular settings and Twin Galaxies tournament settings. For the regular settings, Michael Torcello, or is it Torcello perhaps, um, verified December 16th, 1983, 1,510,220. And Twin Galaxies Tournament Settings, Steve Wagner, or is it Wagner, verified on January 15th, 2016, scored 750,000 even. And me, nice. 9,100 on Saturday. I think I've scored like 25,000, but you know, that's, yeah. There you go. Did you see it? Were there any scores for Pylon Pete, Pirate Pete? I did not notice that. Um, I think Twin Galaxies lumps them all into one. Okay. Let me. Yeah, like I said, there's only the only real difference other than the graphics is the uh, snakes you have to watch out for in Pirate Pete. Oh, oh god, the Orcade.com um, arcade spotlight tonight. Dave and Buster's. Hold on a second. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that. <laughs> oh gosh, excuse me. I'm pretty sure that's randomly generated. It's got to be. Just like uh, if you go to the KLOV, the killer list of video games or the arcade museum, I think they call it now. uh, It just has a random video game spotlight. I think they actually, they don't call it like 
game of the of the day or whatever. I think it's they call it game of the moment. And every time you refresh the screen, it comes up with a different game hmm. to yeah. randomly display. Which yeah, Arcade.com, like it. They actually, it actually is like random, but it's just for that. It actually is for the day. Mm-hmm. Like it'll change the next so, day. Oh, okay. oh actually, you that, know what? Uh, Twin Galaxies has a separate track for Pirate Pete. Um, eh. So for Pylon Pete, verified November 19th, 2006. 24,310. And this is oh, interesting wow. because all the scores on that game were verified by referee on the same day, and they're all pretty low scores. Huh. So I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, there's no real inf- Yeah, all, For game-specific rules, it just says settings forthcoming. I wonder hmm. if there was like a, a, a single-life tournament or something that they did yeah. this for. Interesting. Well, not really. As much as we're not huge fans of Jungle Hunt, I'm a huge, not hugely not a fan of Pirate Pete. Would the you be an any more of a fan if it hadn't been for Jungle Hunt King? Hmm. That's hard to say. I honestly <laughs> don't know. I didn't even know the game existed until oh, maybe a year ago. And two but weeks when ago. I saw for it me. lumped under the uh, when you go into Mame. If you're using the Mame UI 64. Uh, games of a similar similar type will like expand like uh like if you're looking like uh, at something in a file manager you'll see like a little cross next to it you click that and it'll show everything underneath it right and uh, and pile on Pete uh, came up you know in that and so of course I had to had to play it because it was like oh what is this and uh, yeah, that game's just I th- I think Pirate Pete is an insult uh, of a game but you know I think with that we should probably uh, tell everybody the theme ooh you want me to do that sure why not. Okay. Well, I haven't I haven't announced the theme in a long time, so this is exciting for me. Yeah, do it. This is exciting do for it. Anderson Council here. The theme for today's episode, for episode fifty of Pie Factory Podcast, is title games that have different names. Ah, title games in which reason. the names were changed. And I totally didn't catch it. They're both games by title. I don't know why I didn't catch that when we talked about this as the theme. Yeah, and of course, each has different. I have no idea why they called, why they had to rename Puzzle Bobble for the United States. And I, there's the thing because I saw a Bubble Bobble machine in pretty much every arcade I went to into around the time it came out, and Bubble Bobble was a huge game on the Nintendo it was Entertainment pretty successful. System. You think people it was recognize the, successful the Bobble game. thing? And I just, I just don't get why they changed the name of that one. And of course, I, I totally understand why they changed Jungle. King to Jungle Hunt. Yeah, that that was because of lawyers. The the puzzle bobble bust a move thing is just a mystery, and especially the name bust. That's such a terrible name for a game like that. Pretty much everything I've seen on the internet when it's talked about the name of the 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 name of the game, how they change it from uh, puzzle bobble to bust a move, have said that it's like that's just terrible. That's just a terrible name. That's a horrible name, bust a move. A horrible name for a great game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Could be worse. It could have a, a great name and be a terrible game. Yep. And by the way, Jungle Hunt. Are you really hunting for a jungle? I don't know. Does it actually say? I don't know. And you're not really hunting either. You're Even hunting if you're for in the, the lady. jungle hunting. You're not hunting. You're hunting the you, lady. So you no, can you're, rescue you're her. Not, you're hunting you're not Penelope. hunting. You're not was, was there, By the way, was, you're there not going to shoot her. was there a Saturday morning cartoon show based on Jungle Hunt? Don't think so. Okay. Uh, not the. I know there was a Pitfall game on Saturday Super K, but yeah. I don't think there was a Jungle Hunt. I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere. Usually, if there was a TV show, 
uh, many of these sources that we consult will mention that, and I have not seen that, so I'll just have to assume it wasn't. And I think with that, we're ready to announce the games that we're going to be talking about next episode. Oh, okay. Do you want? Why don't you you announce it? I'll be nice. I'll let you announce okay, it. Okay, cool. Um, all right. For next episode, we are going to be talking about ah, Pack and Pal. Yes. And a game that we have been kind of teasing for quite a long time, and we are finally going to join the podcasting world of arcade podcasts that talk about uncle Pooh, uncle Pooh. That's going to be interesting. So yeah. So join us again in a couple of weeks. Oh, what could the theme possibly be? And we forgot something. I didn't forget anything, bub. Our Patreon sponsors. I didn't forget them. You were about to end the show without me getting a chance to thank them. Oh, well, because I, I, of the, of the two of us, I'm the one who's actually thankful for people like, Rory Coleman, Michael D'Angelo, Kyle Etter, Nate Lockhart, Greg Polander, Underground Retrocade, Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, and Richard Valdez. So you got that going for you. So with that, once again, from Morris, Illinois, this is Jimmy Rustler. And from the Illudium Q36 Explosive Fields of Chicago, this is Anderson Council. Uh, it's actually Illudium Pew, not Illudium Q. Tell that to my wife, okay? <laughs> The Illudium Pew 36 Explosive Space Modulator. That Earth creature has stolen my space modulator. Delays, delays. So, bye-bye, everybody. Ciao, Maine. Bye-bye. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Okay, I am... <clears throat> I am officially recording. Oh, I thought you were... <clears throat> I am, and I am also officially recording. Say... Oh, crap. I forgot to talk about Tinkle Pit. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I don't know why I do that, because you know, Hyde's going to put that sound effect in. Better. Oh, we actually, I think at the end of the year, his contract is up. Because what? what is it? It's a 73-episode contract, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, this time, you have to be there with me for the negotiation, because I think I did a terrible job. I need, I need, I need backup on that. Because, man, there are some weird terms in that contract that that we, like, really dug ourselves into a hole for. Yeah, so I mean, if we, if, if we decide to renew, if we, if we decide to renew Hyde, that is. Yeah, I mean, where are we going to get, like, several hundred pounds of Limburger cheese every month for him? I, I just don't understand what they, where well, that's going to come th- from. Well, the thing is, keep in mind that he's only been in the area for a couple of years. He's still a newbie. Yeah, that he is true. He thinks that it's just easy just to traipse into Wisconsin from here. Well... Is he had never driven on 94 before? Maybe, I, you know what, I think maybe he has the one time, but when he was driving up there on 94, he saw the Mars Cheese Castle just over the border. Maybe that's, that's probably, where he got yeah. the idea. Yeah. But I don't know.